Absolute abomination. That's a good one. Hello, everybody, <laughs> and welcome to Whiskey Wednesdays. Hello. Wednesday. Wednesday. Uh, so we are doing this uh, a little bit early because I have to work next Wednesday and won't be able to do it at the proper time. But Whiskey Wednesdays is a Fools and Flagon show where we review and discuss various topics regarding D&D as suggested by you and the lovely people in our Discord. Uh, tonight, for the moment, uh, I am joined by uh, Metal, a.k.a. Kiefrach. Hello! We've got uh, Nim slash Pez, our resident kobold, hugging the moss there. Howdy, he's my moss. Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off! Uh, beside him, the little pop cat is Issa. Yeah, well. And then we got the toaster brick, aka Zeke. The oh no. Remind me later, I'll do like an outline of uh, Stitch on your toes for the next time. <laughs> oh, and it looks like Zach just joined us, the bunny munching on the carrot. Nom, 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 popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> popcorn flavored carrot. Uh, if you are listening to the... Did we ever get the... No, I haven't worked on the flipping toast yet. Uh, that's going to be a whole other ordeal and artwork that's going to be required by me. But uh, keep bothering me about it and I'll get to it eventually. It's just been a very, very um, intense week or two. Uh, those of you listening to us live, uh, this will be in podcast form and it will be in our uh, Saved in Our VODs on our YouTube channel. For the podcast, we're pretty much on every podcast posting site you can think of. Uh, Samsung Podcasts, um, Pandora, Spotify. Also, I apologize if I sound less energetic than usual. I had a 13-hour day yesterday, and I'm not fully recovered yet. Uh, you cannot fucking spawn hamburger. Flip <laughs> <laughs> <Lip> toast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, donations are never required, but always appreciated. If you like what we do and you would like to support us, please consider our coffee page. All proceeds from donations and memberships go straight back into making Fools and Flags an even better experience and helps keep the podcast alive and well. If you would like to join in on these conversations when we go live, or you just want to play games with us as we do throughout the week, uh, please consider joining, join, joining the Discord. The link should be down in the description, uh, or if you're on YouTube or Twitch, it should be kind of down below somewhere. Why did Spotify stop playing? Because I'm talking, it's not integrated to Discord, so fucking stop. Um, you absolute Muppet. You absolute Muppet. Uh, so, the other Stream thing that I kind of... sponsored by the Muppets. God, I wish. It'd be amazing. <laughs> uh... Before we get started on the topic at hand, I got an email with uh, D&D Beyond's Wrapped, and some of these numbers are kind of interesting. No, we're not sponsored. I just like the site. They're very useful. D&D uh, Beyond. So, dice rolled on D&D Beyond, 187 million. There were 5.9 million natural 20s rolled, and 5.8 million natural 1s rolled. Eh. <laughs> I want you guys to try and guess the most popular character name. Brick. Or Bob. 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 Bob the goblin. <laughs> Bobbert. Uh, there Bob were 428.6 thousand one D&D playtesters. Hey. I'm one of them. 
Apparently, there were four million students stuff. introduced to D and D in the classroom. Oh, oh yeah. Um, top five articles don't really care. Uh, but yes, there's some of those numbers were interesting. And as soon as I read that the most popular name was Bob, I just I had to share. <laughs> Bobathy, the Godathy. Anyway. Uh, so tonight we have uh, we're going to be covering the subclasses that are in the Delver's Guide to Beast World by Heartleaf Games. Really cool guys. They have a Discord. Um, check their book out. It's been a phenomenal read so far. Uh, if you thought the races were kind of insane, some of these subclasses are really fucking dope. Yeah. Can I just say, I know we're going to probably go through these in order, but can I just, I was looking at the list and it saw Monk, Way of the Kidney Punch. Marcus, it's exactly, what no, that is broken. And I actually have a question for uh, the the writers of this book when we get to there, because there's something that I don't see written and it makes you wonder what the answer would be. But we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, they have been listening to this and are very openly honest reviews. Especially as the night goes on, I drink more of my whiskey, which, uh, speaking of. What you drinking tonight? Whiskey. Um, I poured the green spot again. <laughs> Wait, who said what now? Zach said whiskey. <laughs> oh. He's not wrong. I no, thought about I opening the Jameson that I got, but... Um, from my edit, from uh, the the editor that I work with, but um, I'm just so fucking tired. I just wanted something that was really nice and wasn't gonna like kill my throat. So uh, I went with Green Spot again. It's very quickly becoming one of my favorites. <clears throat> so, shall we begin? Please, yeah. I want to get to Kidney Punch. Okay. No. Um, there. Just, yes. <laughs> Uh, a few things that I do want to cover. There are one or two of these subclasses that I'm going to skip over some of their things. Uh, for example, the Druid Circle of the Wild card, they have 24 individual cards that they can draw from, and they have their own special rules. I'll touch on a few of them that I found really interesting, but I'm not going to go over all of them, or we're going to be here for like three hours. They can be something that we can touch on later if someone uh, really wants to hear about them, but for the most part... I'm going to try to condense some of those so that we can try to get through all of these tonight before everyone starts to pass the fuck out, even though I'm the only one that's drinking. A druid deck of many things. Hmm. Honestly, um, kind of close. It's not like world-breaking, but some of them are... Whoa, I love it. Zach, you're going to hear one that's going to be... would be super incredibly fucking broken if um, Zahn was in it, the, the game. Probably. Hmm. So, uh, we're going to start off uh, alphabetically, so Barbarian, Path of the Thoughts Tremor. Uh, you get Focused Rage at third level. Your body enters a perfect union with your mind during your rage. Until the end of your rage, uh, you add your Constitution modifier to the first melee weapon attack roll you make on your turn. At tenth level, you add your Constitution modifier to the first two melee weapon attacks you make on your turn. So if you're a barbarian, you're anywhere from three to five with your constitution. Oh, that's dirty. That's that's a that's a lot of extra damage, especially early on. That's a nasty, nasty. A bit of a... Uh, yeah, can you still do that head desk thing, or do you? Was that with your old mic? Um... <laughs> 
What? Or was that because my mic then fell onto the stand, but that's fine. Yeah, we just heard <laughs> Domo Origato from that one. So, uh, <laughs> anyhow, uh, the next up that we have uh, also at third level, Unwavering Violence. You hone your brutality to an unrivaled consistency. When you hit with a melee weapon attack while raging, you can treat the result of each damage die roll as half its maximum, uh, half its maximum number plus one. You must choose to do so before you roll. For example, if you hit with a great axe while raging, you can deal seven damage instead of rolling the one d twelve. Interesting. That's ooh. It is very interesting. Yeah. The, on the one hand, that, you're guaranteed a decent amount. Like, if you if you hear the DM saying, like, ooh, they're not looking good, and you're like, I've been rolling ones all night. Fuck it! Seven damage! How would you like to do this? <laughs> <laughs> so, does that mean if you crit, it's 14? Yeah, no, I guess would be. because you would choose to do so before you roll. Oh, yeah. So, basically, you're choosing to have a guaranteed half damage well no it i thought the way it's worded is you must choose to do so before you roll the attack not the damage no when you when you hit with a melee weapon attack while raging you can oh. treat the result of each damage die roll as half its maximum number plus one so you roll to hit dm says you hit cool i'm not going to roll my dice i'm going to use unwavering violence i'm guaranteed to do half my damage plus one so you don't get a chance. Well, I guess technically you do get. Yeah, if you crit. It says. So to be fair, it says plus any modifiers. A twenty is technically a modifier. Well, so I would say if you crit, double your damage. You're doing fourteen damage. Yeah. Plus the weapons mm -hmm. modifiers. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I would. I no, was no, just it, clarifying there. I, it. I'm. I'm happy to have the clarification. Um, demonstrative destruction you get at level six. You can reap violence that strikes an observer to their visceral depths. When you score a critical hit with a melee weapon attack, you can choose a different creature within 60 feet of you that, you that can see you. That creature must succeed on a wisdom saving throw with a DC equal to 8 plus your proficiency plus your constitution or take psychic damage equal to half the damage dealt rounded down. So basically, Dude, Zon murders kill a the motherfucker so hard that the other guy's scared of what's happening to him next. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like you're staring them down while slowly stabbing their. You're literally the staring <laughs> daggers into someone. Well, here you go. You kill him so hard, you give the fucker a migraine. <laughs> oh god, it hurts. <laughs> That's kind of funny. I like that. <laughs> like barbarian. Uh, oh, what's the what's the bard trait where you can. Uh, Vicious, vicious mockery, mockery. Like barbarian vicious mockery. <laughs> Actually, there's going to be quite a few of these subclasses that seem to kind of like dip their toes into other uh, subclasses around. They're, they're all just amazing. Like, I want to try out so many of these. Um, at 10th level, you get uncanny sense. Uh, vibrations sail through your body and your fury attunes you to them. At 10th level, while raging, you gain tremor sense to a range of 60 feet. Additionally, you do not have disadvantage on attack rolls against enemies you cannot see within 60 feet of you. You're an earthbender. You're you basically bad. say, bitch, I can feel you over there. <laughs> Especially at 10th level. Ooh, that's, mm -hmm. that is that is a little broken. <laughs> I, you don't know the definition of broken yet, my friend. Just wait. 
Shared precision, starting at 14th level. Your mastery of emotions is complete, and your allies can join in the reverberations of your anger. As part of the bonus action you take to enter your rage, you can cast the telepathic bond spell requiring no components. Until the end of your rage, other creatures bonded to you by the spell can add your constitution modifier to the first attack roll they make in a round. Wisdom is your spellcasting ability for this spell, and it lasts its full duration. Yeah. Everyone in your party is basically getting a, a bonus <laughs> to their first attack. Mm, I seem a little bit pissed off. Are you guys pissed off? Are you, you know pissed what? off as I am? I'm pissed off for <laughs> you. Pissed off. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, I thought just because I want to, just because I want to know the specifics, is telepathic bond? Because there's a few spells like that. I'm trying to remember if telepathic bond the one that's multiple people or singular person. Uh, let me pull it up on ye old D and D Beyond. Uh, you forge a telepathic link among up to oh, eight, eight willing creatures. Ooh, yeah. Nasty. <laughs> Ooh, it's nasty. And I love that it says you don't require the material components, which is eggshells from two different kinds of creatures. <laughs> <laughs> you stay away from my children. <laughs> so, oh... Zeke, holy fuck, I am so excited for the bard. Um, oh. You have a new college, the College of Witches. So basically, you you play to the spirits of the dead. It seem, That seems like a pretty f- similar theme throughout a lot of these subclasses, during, is dealing with the dead. I'm okay with this. Uh, so at boil, third level, boil, when you join this... Boil in trouble. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, starting at third level, when you cho- <laughs> when you choose this college, you get haunted co- uh, consort, and this took me a few reads to get through, and I promise I'll I'll explain it and and make sure that you understand it all. Um, the College of Witches trains a bard to attract ghosts in the netherworld with a performance. A witch can then consort with ghosts to exchange attention for power. As part of a long rest, your eyes become cloudy and gray as you look into the netherworld and perform for a ghostly audience. Your DM or GM determines how many ghosts are in your audience according to the haunted audience table. Basically, like if you guys are out in the middle of a road, you may only have like three ghosts that are nearby that are listening to you. Like long deceased people that got attacked by bandits or whatever. But if you're in like a big ass town and you go and like, you know, take a nap in the graveyard or whatever, you're going to have a lot more ghosts available to you. It's Beetlejuice the musical. So, uh, there is a table here that you can have up to three, four, five, six, or seven ghosts in your general vicinity for you to uh, entertain and enthrall, for lack of a better word. So, you roll a d6 for each ghost in your audience, based on the location and the table provided. The results determine each ghost's capabilities according to the ghost essence table. At the end of your long rest, you can also make a DC 15 performance check, attracting one additional ghost of an essence you choose on a success. Starting at 13th level, success attracts two ghosts with an essence you choose. Now, there are three essences. uh, Steward, Scoundrel, and Scholar. So, let's say, for example, you're in the middle of a road. You have three ghosts available to you. You play your song. Let's say, for the sake of the argument, you have a real shit roll for your performance check. You don't get any extra. You have three. Each of those ghosts, you roll a d6. A one and a two is a steward. 
three and a four is a scoundrel, and a five and a six is a scholar. So you roll three d6s, and whatever those results are, those are the ghosts that you've currently, like, attracted to yourself. Y yeah, ghoul please. <laughs> ghoul please. Ghoul please. <laughs> so, um, choose a number of ghosts up to your proficiency bonus from your audience. So if you have seven ghosts in your audience, and you roll, and you get, like, I don't know, three stewards, two scoundrels, and the rest are scholars... If you have, um, you know, a three proficiency score, you choose three of those that you want. And those now uh, basically follow you around. So until the start of your next long rest, each haunts a friendly creature you choose within 60 feet of you. Multiple ghosts can haunt one creature. You can use a bonus action to spend a bardic inspiration to manifest a ghost haunting a creature you can see within 60 feet of you for one minute. Each ghost confers abilities while manifested, depending on the essence outlined below. At the end of the manifestation, a ghost haunting a creature other than you has fulfilled its end of the compact or contract and disappears back into the netherworld. A ghost haunting you remains and can be manifested again. So, the steward. When the steward manifests, the haunted creature gains a plus one bonus to attack rolls for the duration. This bonus increases to two at ninth level and three at 15th level. Additionally, the steward materializes in front of the haunted creature as a floating shield of black stone. The creature is treated as if wielding an animated shield it is proficient with. As a bonus action, the haunted creature can command the steward to transform into a wall of stone up to 10 feet on a side and 6 inches thick, at a point within 60 feet the haunted creature can see. The wall has an AC of 15 and 30 hit points. The haunted creature can use a bonus action within 15 feet of it to transform it back into an animated shield and wield it. So you pretty much get to uh -huh. ignore... You get to pretty much ignore an attack. So bonus attacks and AC. Yeah. Bonus well, attacks? I mean, I guess... What is the rolls. effect of an animated shield, I guess? Uh, let uh, me pull that up. Unless, Zeke, you already have it. I don't have it, but I know it because I love this magic item. Animated shield <laughs> is like a uh, handless shield. It's a little... It starts out as a little disc, and then uh, energy shoots out of it, depending on uh, which one you're going mm -hmm. with. Uh, and it flies around you and acts as a uh, like a regular plus two or more shield, but you have both hands free. Which is great for spellcasters because a spellcaster can't have a shield. They need to have their hands free to do the somatic components of their spells. Or you could really give it to a fucking barbarian or somebody who just doesn't want to use a shield. And now they're rolling a two-handed weapon and a shield. That too. It is a really good magic item. So, the scoundrel. This ghost possesses an item the haunted creature chooses on its person. The haunted creature can use an action to order the scoundrel to possess a different item. Items remain possessed at any distance until a new one is chosen or the haunting ends. When the scoundrel manifests, the haunted creature gains a plus one bonus to ability checks for the duration. This bonus increases to two at ninth level and three at fifteenth level. While manifested, the haunted creature senses the direction and distance of the possessed item. The item is visible to the haunted creature through solid objects appearing as a faint gray outline. Weapon attacks made by the haunted creature using the possessed item deal an extra 1d6 force damage on a hit, say like a sword or a, a maul or whatever. 
While holding the possessed item, the haunted creature can use a bonus action to order the scoundrel to hide it. The item disappears, following the haunted creature from the netherworld. The haunted creature can use a bonus action to make it reappear in its hand. Hmm. So, stealthy oh. invisible sword? Or a stealthy invisible item that you slip into a bad guy's pocket and you go, oh, that's where the fucker lives. <laughs> Interesting. Like, we really can't let this thing fall into the person's <laughs> hand. Hey, that person's right there. Ghost, take it and run. <laughs> um, so uh, next up, we've got the scholar. When the scholar manifests, the haunted creature gains a plus one bonus to saving throws for the duration. This increases the 2 at 9th level and 3 at 15th level. It's like there's a pattern here. I'm chancing it. Yeah. Wee, 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 wee. As a reaction to the scholar <laughs> manifesting, the haunted creature can activate a held magic item if it can normally activate the item with an action or bonus action. If the magic item regains charges at dawn, this activation costs one fewer charge. While the scholar is manifested, the haunted creature can cast the Ray of Frost cantrip. Charisma is its spellcasting ability for the spell. Additionally, cantrips cast by the haunted creature that deal damage deal an extra 1d6 force damage. The scholar can translate magic secrets. If the haunted creature holds a magic scroll for the manifestation's full duration, black flames immolate the scroll, destroying it and causing the haunted creature 1d3 fire damage. The haunted creature is left holding a scroll of the same spell, and the haunted creature, and only the haunted creature, can cast the spell on this scroll, ignoring all class, race, and level requirements. Woo! So if you find a ninth level spell scroll, and you're willing to take 1d3 fire damage, well, so you're a level 3 that can cast a ninth level spell once. Once. I cast be gone, okay. bitches! What kip? Metal? I, I was making sure that I understood this correctly. Like, this is just added to the repertoire? Like, no, okay. No, so basically, if you have a spell scroll, it's a one-use thing. But it has to be in your class, and it has to be of a level you can cast it. You can technically cast a higher-level spell scroll, but there is a severe DC to potentially fail, which would consume the scroll regardless. This is basically saying you waste the spirit's time, burn yourself a little bit, and you are guaranteed to be able to use this scroll. Period. Yep. That's weird, though. It doesn't say, like, that it expires or anything. The haunted creature can cast a spell on this scroll. I think it's, it's supposed to be an understood... If you go and look at the rules for spell scrolls, that's where you would get the information that it, it dissipates. I at least the way that I'm interpreting it, it's basically saying this is a spell scroll, and the only difference here is that it's not hindering you by class, race, or level, but it's still a spell scroll. But it, I mean, if if you were the DM at a table and you had this in your game and that's the way you wanted to to run it, by I all fucking would not means, want to run it that way. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say by all means, give your level three fucking bard a ninth level spell scroll that he can use indefinitely you <laughs> mad lad here cast wait, wish wish, wish. you're forgetting the fact that it says no uh class requirements that means like here here grog <laughs> cast this spell 
Grog would like to cast Meteor Swarm. Yes. <laughs> that, that's exactly Grog. it. You can... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Grog would like to wish for something. What do you wish for? Up cupcake. <laughs> Muffin button. But it's a, it's a genie wish. So, like, you, you get a cupcake, but it's, like, the size of a fucking building that crushes you. <laughs> fucking monkey spot. Hey, let's not put it past the barbarian to be like, perfect. <laughs> no, I'm not so... <laughs> What's the lift carry weight of a uh, a barbarian at twentieth level? <laughs> uh, this next one kind of threw me a little bit for a loop, and then until I kind of realized that it, it's meant more for like role play aspects. Uh, it's spectral decoy. This is also at third level. Ooh, excuse me. You can call a ghost into service as a spy or decoy by spending one minute performing music or otherwise consorting with a ghost haunting you. It physically appears for one hour in an unoccupied space you choose within 10 feet of you. The ghost looks like the creature who caused its creation. Any magic items it carries are non-magical facsimiles, and any objects it appears with disappear if not on its person. While acting as your decoy, you cannot manifest the ghost with the haunted consort feature. The ghost follows your commands to the best of its ability, it cannot speak, and it can only convey the emotion that created it. It avoids drawing attention to itself and takes a dodge action in combat. The ghost can communicate telepathically with you to a range of 300 feet. The ghost acts on its own... Uh, sorry, the ghost acts on its own turn in initiative. You can use a bonus action to command it to move and act. It can't make attacks, cast spells, or take actions that affect creatures, such as the help action. It shares your speed, ability scores, and proficiencies, but it has AC 10 and 1 hit point. At the end of the duration, if it drops to 0 hit points, or if you dismiss it as a bonus action, the ghost, res uh, the ghost resumes haunting you. Once you use this ability, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. You just have like a ghostly version of yourself doing the Pennywise dance down the hall to scare someone. <laughs> That's kind of what it sounds like. I mean, with a range of 300 feet, it sounds more like a, hey, go scout out that Lord's home. And he says, dur -ya -dur, and he just walks through the walls because it's a ghost, you know? We are from down here, Georgie. <clears throat> I don't fully see this being something that is terribly useful in combat. I mean, maybe you can try to taunt, but it would really kind of be up to the DM if... They want to allow this to be able to be a distraction, distractionable thingy, if that makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's kind of how I'm looking at that particular Still, ability. Still, for roleplay purposes and infiltration, very good. Uh, that is you a good certainly point. You use it to create attack opportunity before... I mean... Oh... That's a good point. Does it actually count as a creature for the purposes of flanking? I was I was saying, uh, I think what he means is like, hey, look over here while we sneak up behind you and stab you in the back. Oh, no, no, for sure. But I'm, I'm still kind of thinking about if you were to pop this dude into existence and have it go stand behind the guy that you're attacking, I don't see why it wouldn't be an attack of opportunity because it can be hit. It has an AC. Yeah. That's fair. Hmm. Uh, so, at 6th level, we finally left 3rd level, by the way, you have <laughs> Play by Ear. Your sense of the netherworld bleeds into time in the material world. 
Every waking moment, you hear songs played from behind the curtain by the ghosts of bards. When you use the haunted consort feature at the end of a long rest, this eerie rendition of the Universal Symphony temporarily adds to your spells known. Choose bard spells worth a number of levels up to half your bard level minus one, round it up. You know the chosen spells until you finish a long rest. For example, an 8th level bard can choose one third level spell or combination of 2nd level and 1st level spells whose levels adds up to 3. You're, you're getting more free spells is the long and short of this one. Now, your 14th level feature. Holy shit buckets, this is strong. Let's hear it. It's called Ghosts of the Known. Starting at 14th level, you have learned the means of creating a ghost by watching the churning of oblivion. As a reaction to a humanoid within a number of hit dice up to yours dying within 60 feet of you, basically your level, uh, you can imprint a ghost of the creature into the netherworld 5 feet from you. If the, creatures know, if the creature knows it will be resurrected when it dies, such as with the Revivify spell, this ability fails to capture a strong enough emotion to create a ghost, so like one of your party members. Uh, it can perform one of the following actions you know it can use, which you can choose when you create the ghost. Cast a spell up to 5th level with a casting time of one action that the dead creature casts within the last 7 days. The spell cannot require material components with a listed gold cost. It can take an action it can take an attack action with the number of weapon attacks allowed by the dead creature's attack or multi-attack action using a weapon it wielded in the last seven days. If the weapon is a magic weapon with a rarity of rare, it is treated as a plus one weapon instead. Above rare. Above rare, yes. Sorry. Uh Take a special action the dead creature could take at least once after a long rest unless granted by a class feature at 10th level or higher. The special action must not take longer than a single action or bonus action. Or if, lastly, it can use a magic item that the dead creature possessed when it died and that regains charges or uses at dawn. The magic item must have a rarity no higher than rare. So, after you finish your next long rest, you gain the ability to use your action to expend one use of your bardic inspiration to empower your ghost of the known. It appears in an unoccupied space you can see within 30 feet of you and immediately performs its action. It then disappears and returns to a space in the netherworld 5 feet from you. Once it uses its action, it cannot do so again until you finish a long rest. The ghost remains with you until you use this feature to create another one. So basically, you guys fight your big bad, and then you trap its spirit with you to cast one of the spells that nuked your party or smack something with the giant greatsword that it had in life. I, how was that not fucking badass? Or magic item or special it. action. It, this this class uh, kind of reminds me of the. Of the night from Dead by Daylight that I was showing you, Ian. Summons ghosts. Just yeah. fucking... It's pretty fucking badass. I love it. Mm -hmm. The only thing that kind of sucks is that that Ghost of the Known is a 14th level one. And there's a fair few campaigns that just don't go past level 15, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. 
But, unfortunately, we're done with the bard. On to the cleric. Um, I'm not really sure how I feel about the cleric. Uh, they have a new domain called the Mercy Domain. Um, basically, you are a cleric that is um, committed to nonviolence. You want to try and avoid <laughs> violence as much as possible, and you get bonuses when you do. So, uh, you get a bunch of spells given to you for free as you level up. At first level, you get protection from good and evil and sanctuary. At third level, you get comprehend languages and detect thoughts. At fifth level, you have counterspell and tongues. Seventh level, you get divination and freedom of movement. And at ninth level, you get uh, gias and legend lore. Gias! Gias! <laughs> Uh, so first off, you have tools to show the path. One must be able to express themselves to build common ground and turn an enemy into a friend. When you choose this domain at first level, you gain proficiency in the persuasion skill. At first level, you get Concord of Company. You can use your god's power to open the door to negotiation without clouding the enemy's mind. When you cast a sanctuary spell, you can target a number of creatures equal to your wisdom modifier, minimum of one, Additionally, the range of the spell is 60 feet. Enjoy. At second level, you get your channel divinity, mandate of pacifism. You can use your channel divinity to catch violence in the hands of divine grace, protecting yourself while blazing a trail to peace. When an attacker you can see hits you with a melee attack, you can use your reaction to negate the attack's damage and any other effects. The attacker must succeed on a strength saving throw against your spell save DC or drop anything it is holding. Dropped objects land at the attacker's feet. Just, I'm, I'm imagining, here's this big fucking 20 foot something tall magic troll with this axe that's equally as big. And you're just sitting there, yeah, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, at sixth oh, level, uh, huh? Go ahead. I did. I did want to put this as a note. Uh, f the feature uh, referencing sanctuary. Uh, for those of you who don't know about that spell, it is oh, a right. first level cleric spell. Um, as it, at its base, you ward a creature within range against attack until the spell ends. Any creature who targets the ward creature with an attack or a harm for spell must make a wisdom saving throw. On a failed save, the creature must choose a new target or lose the attack or spell. Uh, this spell doesn't protect the warded creature from area effects, such as a fireball spell. Um, however, it seems like this ability would, instead of singling out a single creature, do many creatures, correct? Uh, you can do you can target a number of creatures equal to your wisdom modifier. You could, you could depend on your wisdom modifier, you could force a small group of people like, okay, no one attacks each other at all. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, so at sixth level, you get provident mercy. When you are a, when you are merciful to a creature, your domain rewards you. Whenever a hostile creature you can see within sixty feet of you yields, you or a friendly creature within sixty feet of you gains providence if they don't already carry it. Once in the next twenty four hours, you can expend providence to treat the result of an attack roll, saving throw, or ability checks DC or D twenty roll as a fifteen. After rolling, but before learning the result. So basically, if you roll like a 12, you're like, fuck that, it's a 15, I'm using my providence. 
you say that before you tell the DM what you got, and he says, oh, failed. You can't then go, oh, I want to use Providence. No, it's too late. Uh, yielding, quote-unquote, is whenever a creature willingly stops being hostile towards you and stops taking hostile actions or attempting to escape on its turn. This cannot be the result of coercion or magical effects. Interesting. Dang it. <laughs> yeah. At 8th level, you get potent spellcasting. You add your wisdom modifier to the damage you deal with any cleric cantrip. Additionally, when you reduce a creature to zero hit points with a cleric cantrip, you can knock the creature out. You can make this choice the instant the damage is dealt. The creature falls unconscious and is stable. Lastly... You can still be, mm -hmm. you can still be violent. Yeah. If you do so need to. Lastly, at 17th level, you get absolute parlay. Your ability to stem the tide of violence is unmatched. When you cast a sanctuary spell, any creature who targets the warded creature with an attack or harmful spell automatically fails the wisdom saving throw unless they are immune to being charmed. Mm. It's 17th level though, so that's yeah. that's a ways away. And I mean, if you think about it, you could essentially... I mean, at 17th level, you've probably got a plus five wisdom modifier. That's roughly how big your party is. Apart from area of effect cases, you basically just say, ah, no, you're not going to attack us. And you could just walk in. Um, actually. <laughs> As he walks in. <laughs> uh, so any, any thoughts on that one? <laughs> I have mixed feelings yeah. because I can see how for a certain type of playstyle or group, this would be a very interesting uh, class to play or have in your group. Mainly for those who are far more open to um, RP and talking it out and not always hacking and slashing your way to victory. On that same other side of the coin, though, I can definitely see how this subclass would get very annoying very quickly in the wrong group. Uh, I, I can definitely agree with that. I will say this. Uh, obviously, playing it to the RP aspect of this class, I can definitely see how it would be annoying. That being said, this boss spec has a, or this subclass has a lot of anti-boss potential. Just being able to disarm a fucking boss. Right. Like, I, I think more what Zeke is getting at is it could be annoying for the players. Because if, you, yeah. if you're trying to play this subclass in a group of murder hobos, you're like, no, let's be friends. Uh, I, yeah, I you got to be in the right I'm kind of that group for this. Yeah. <clears throat> it... Uh, Especially with that sixth level trait, because it seems very much like you're in the middle of fighting someone, and the, every turn is like, okay, cleric, it's your turn. Please stop fighting us. I promise everything will be okay. Everyone's just like, shut up and just stab him. Yeah. <clears throat> There's potential. That's it. It's your character. Fuck them murder hobos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't particularly know how I feel about it. I don't think that I would use this one because I am kind of a murder hobo like if if combat stops i will stop and gladly let people talk it out but I'd... i'm not gonna go out of my way every single time to not fight right well i mean generally speaking the two times that i've really like properly played not as a dm i've been a barbarian 
I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, who's to say that the druid or the cleric also won't just be like, okay, okay, time, pause out, one second, don't, hey, can we talk this out? And then as soon as the talking out doesn't work, just like, all right, fucking kill him. <laughs> yeah, barbarian has him by like the scruff of his neck and he's been punching his face. Like, stop, stop. You're like, what? What do you want? Let me talk to him. All right, here you go. Actually, are you gonna are you gonna like stop fighting? The guy's like, no. Slap him. All right, have him. Okay. To be fair, now that metal mentions that, there's nothing in that rule that says that after they're unwilling to fight, you still can't kill the shit out of them. Pacifism isn't being a bitch. I mean, like, if you really think about it, you've now convinced him to not fight you anymore. He puts away his weapon. Your robe walks up and stabs him in the back while he's not looking. I can't wait. It does say when you are merciful to a creature. It doesn't well, say it says when long. you are. It doesn't, it doesn't say, say when your party is merciful to the creature. The <laughs> <laughs> nothing about the rogue. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Like, like, honestly, like, I can see this being really not annoying anymore because now you just become this dude who completely and totally makes you makes enemies think that you don't want to fight and then kills them fucking anyway. I just <laughs> picture the big bad just being like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to turn my life around. Oh, you stole my spleen. Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> I, I can also just see this being an even more annoying version of the White Knight Paladin that, you know everybody's afraid to get in their party yeah it's and i think i think i saw uh marcus post something like it's definitely fits more in the setting that they made uh which i could yes yes i will say for a fact that uh the beast world lore seems to be leaning heavily on the fact that generally speaking there is peace throughout the world the reason that violence is necessary is because of the dungeons that are sprouting up. Right. So um, in that sort of a situation, in that sort of setting, this makes a lot more sense. Not yeah, so much can, in like Storm King's Thunder or anything. No. <laughs> yeah. But I can definitely see same way with, uh, like you said, with the White Knight Paladin. Like it's definitely a interesting class if played correctly and with good communication it can also easily turn into a bad communication thing yeah anyway we've agreed that this one has potential complications depending on what setting it's in and who's actually behind the wheel fire beware fire beware yeah. <laughs> let's move on to the druid because the druid's actually pretty fun um, so at second level, you get games of nature. You are blessed by the god of chaos and nature. You gain proficiency with the sleight of hand skill and two gaming sets of your choice. Also at second level, uh, you craft the wild cards, a deck of 24 cards that channel the blessings of the god of nature and chaos. If the deck is lost, you can craft another with a ritual that takes eight hours to perform. Oh. As an action... You can draw a card from the deck by rolling a d2, a d3, and a d4, and consulting the wild cards tables. If you draw a second card before using the first, the unused card disappears back into the deck, and the deck only has one of each card. 
Once before you finish a long rest, you can use the drawn card. The required action and its effects are detailed in the wild cards at the end of the subclass description. Unless the card's description says otherwise, using the card takes an action. You must be holding a card to use it, and you can't use one while in beast form from the wild shape feature. The card disappears back in the deck after use. You can draw a card from the deck three times, and you regain all expended draws when you finish a long rest. You can draw four times at 6th level, and five times at 14th level. The saving throws for some of the cards that you may draw is equal to your druid spell save DC. So uh, there is a table. Um, I'm not going to go over it because it's a little hard to, to explain without seeing it visually. Uh, but with that being said, get the book and you can see it all you want. So um, at 6th level, you get Luck of the Unruly. As you experience more of nature's chaos, favorable results come your way more often. When you draw a card with the wild card feature, you can re-roll one of the three dice results used to determine the card drawn. You must use the new result unless it would duplicate a card you're already holding, in which case you roll it again. <clears throat> Additionally, when you draw a card from any deck of randomized cards, including your wild card deck, you can immediately replace the card, shuffle, and draw again. This ability bends probability itself, so for all purposes, the new card is what you drew in the first place. Cards forced yeah. into a specific place in the deck with conventional methods of cheating are unaffected. Such cards aren't random. Once you use this ability, you cannot use it again until you finish a long rest. I think essentially what that's saying is that you can't force a card to the top of the deck by creative shuffling. At 10th level, you get double draw. You can't always be lucky, but you can always be prepared. You can carry two drawn wild cards at once. If you draw a third, immediately choose one of the earlier cards to return to your deck. And finally, at 14th level, you get stacked deck. You've mastered the communion of nature and chance, in so much as anyone can. When you draw a wild card, you can substitute any result for one of the three dice rolls to determine the card you draw. Additionally, when you draw a card from any randomized deck, including the wild card deck, you have a 50% chance of drawing a specific card you choose. You must declare the chosen card before you draw. This ability cannot alter a card forced into a position with conventional methods of cheating. Such cards are not random. You use this ability. Uh, the use of this ability is the universe looking out for you, undetectable even with telepathy. Once you use this ability, you cannot use it again until you finish a long rest. So it doesn't specifically say how to determine that 50% chance. I think that's kind of up to the DM to say, like, you roll a percentile dice. Is it higher or lower than 50%? Me personally, I would probably say like 50 or higher get you the card that you want to draw. I do like it always specifies conventional means, meaning that there are unconventional means that this can be done. Yes. I, it, it is nice that they kind of add that in there for the sake of... Um, well, if I just have this mage hand here. <laughs> uh, I mean... So uh, that pretty much does it for the druid. I'll let me scan through some of these real quick because uh, there's at least one that I want to bring to Zach's attention. Because holy fuck, um, Cloud Jumper, Stars Arrow. Uh, 
Chill ever lingering, budding life. No, where is it? Ah, Jubilee of the Flock. When you use this card as an action while up to six creatures are touching you, you begin the Jubilee. For the next hour, if a creature in the Jubilee makes a saving throw, they can use the relevant ability modifier of any other creature in the Jubilee within 60 feet. Additionally, two or more creatures in the Jubilee within five feet of each other cannot be frightened. Starting at 14th level, the Jubilee lasts for 24 hours. So if you have someone with, oh, I don't know, really high stats for some reason, uh, you can basically make it so your entire party is sort of stacked in the right way. I want to use Zach's rules. <laughs> basically. Um, no, they're my rules. Hey. No. Yeah. Fuck. Back, back, Valdivan. <laughs> uh, here's another fun one. Scattering Snow Raven. You use this card as a reaction to a creature you can see within 120 feet of you being reduced to zero hit points. The creature transforms into a Snow Raven with one hit point and can immediately use its reaction to move up to twice its speed without provoking opportunity attacks. It retains its intelligence, wisdom, and charisma scores, but otherwise uses the Raven's stat block. The transformation lasts for one minute or until the creature dismisses it as an action. Starting at 11th level, you can use this card as a reaction to a creature taking damage. So it's basically, oh no, Steve died. Hey, Steve's alive. Over over, <laughs> over there now. Like 60 feet away. It's like an emergency polymorph. I mean, yeah. Interesting. Again, there's 24 of these things. I must have spent like an hour reading them at work today. There's some fun. This one's actually kind of fun. Twist of the Cyclone's Path. When you use this card as a reaction to rolling initiative, the battle becomes as a tornado, with combatants as trees in its path. For the next minute, attack rolls, saving throws, and ability checks rolled by creatures within 300 feet gain a plus 3 bonus to their d20 roll to their d20 roll... Oh, God, hold on. Let me try that for the third time. For the next minute, attack rolls, saving throws, and ability checks rolled by creatures within 300 feet gain a plus 3 bonus if their d20 roll is 11 or higher, and a negative 3 penalty if the roll is 10 or lower. Mm. It's it's literally just chaos! Yeah. Yeah, you were wrong. Yeah. And that goes for everyone. That is not a selective trait. Yep, that is um, creatures. Who <laughs> <laughs> buff everyone? All right, sorry. Okay. <laughs> you all right? Hey, bad guy, you want a plus three? <laughs> you get a plus three, and you get a plus three, and you get a plus now, three. Now, look, if hey, I'm Oprah. DMing someone using that particular card, you're fucking fine. You're going to wipe the floor with me. <laughs> Alrighty. That gets us on down to fighter. The main oh. event. Metal, this is the one that I, I was saying that you were gonna have a lot of fun with. Dang, dang, Especially dang. based off of what we were doing today in Dark Tide. Uh so you have a new martial archetype, the main event. When you choose this archetype at third level, you gain proficiency with a performance skill. You can also cast the Stagecraft and Dancing Lights cantrip. Uh, 
The stagecraft is a new spell outlined in chapter 13, which we will get to the next time that we uh, do Whiskey Wednesdays, because I think we're going to be able to power through all these tonight. Um, your, your casting ability is Charisma for these spells, and you can cast Dancing Lights as a bonus action. So, as the main event, you have um, kind of kind of like key. You have a new resource to manage. Heat is the primal force of combat. It's raw momentum and thrill. You draw, or gain, heat with dramatic fighting and spend it to perform feats of theatrical prowess. Starting when you take this archetype at third level, when you roll initiative at the start of combat, you have zero heat. You can never have more than three heat. Any excess is lost. You immediately draw one heat if a creature scores a critical hit, a critical hit against you. You are reduced to five or fewer hit points. This increases to 10 or fewer at 6th level, 15 or fewer at 11th level, and 20 or fewer at 16th level. Uh, you gain heat if a creature lifts you at least 10 feet in the air. You hit with an attack roll made with disadvantage. You escape from being swallowed by a creature. You shove or throw a creature into a fall of at least 10 feet. A friendly creature hits a creature you are grappling with an attack. You hit with an improvised weapon attack. You can only draw heat from an improvised weapon that deals the same type of damage once until you finish a long rest. So if Basically, you pick up a chair and deal bludgeoning damage, you can only get heat from that once per long rest. But if you hit someone with a chair and splinter it, and then you stab them with the broken end, that's piercing damage, baby! Basically, any single time that a crowd would go, oh, or ooh, <laughs> you gain heat. Yeah, so now those are just some of the um, situations where you're not necessarily... You can get heat in other ways, is what I'm trying to get at. That's not the only way to get heat. Yeah, that's good. So, uh, yeah. Was turned off. <laughs> yeah, trust me, I was a little worried too. Uh, but you have appeal. Once per round, if you haven't drawn heat from another source, you can replace an attack with a dramatic show of confidence. Called an appeal. Make a DC 15 uh, performance check. On a success, you draw one heat. Let's see, uh, once around, you haven't drawn heat from another place. Place an attack. Yeah, okay. Um, saving throw. Some of your abilities require your target to make a saving throw to resist their effects. The saving throw DC of your spots is 8, plus your proficiency, plus your strength or dexterity modifier. Your choice. So, spots are basically the abilities you can do when you. Uh, have heat so at third level you gain the ability to release the tension of drawn heat with spectacular maneuvers you choose three spots you can choose an additional spot at seventh tenth and fifteenth so you can have a total of six which there's only six so you get all of your spots once you're 15th level the first one is kip up <laughs> kip up oh, yes ah yes kip's awake yes <sighs> I hate you. <laughs> as a Love reaction it. to fuck off. As a reaction to being knocked prone, you can spend one heat to stand up and make a melee weapon attack against a creature that knocked you prone. <laughs> you basically just fucking wrestler 
wrestler-esque just like fall back and then just like spring back up and whack yeah you you do that bouncy Jackie clown th- punchy clown thing just like boom boom <laughs> uh the next one you've got is clothesline as a reaction to a creature entering your reach you can spend one heat to make a melee weapon attack against that creature on a hit the target must make a strength saving throw on a failed save the target is knocked prone and its speed is reduced to zero until you start your next turn so here, here's another instance of where I get a little confused. It says a strength saving throw, but it doesn't say, oh, right, the DC is what the saving throw is, right. Yeah. Yep. So that may have actually answered my question for a future thing that I was just too stupid to remember. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, Nim. The first time you've spoken up in, what, like an hour? <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So, Metal, this isn't the one that I was uh, really meaning you were going to like, but I think you'll also really like this one called Hot Tag. As an action, you can spend two heat to touch a creature. The creature can immediately use its reaction to move up to its speed without provoking opportunity attacks. As it moves, it can make one melee weapon attack against each creature within reach, dealing extra damage equal to half your fighter level rounded down on a hit. So basically you go, go get him, tiger! And just... <laughs> yes, sir! Slap their ass. <laughs> yeah. Um, perfect reversal is the next one. As a reaction to a creature missing you with a weapon attack, you can spend two heat to make a weapon attack against that creature. This attack scores a critical hit on a roll of 17 to 20. Ooh. Basically... They they miss their downswing and then you just fucking go for the uppercut. Yeah, with a sword to the jugular. Yeah, that is that's pretty good. It's very strong. Uh, it does take two heat though, so keep that in mind. Yeah. Next up, we've got vital throw. You can use a bonus action and spend two heat to throw a grappled creature up to fifteen feet horizontally. The target and creatures in the space it lands in must succeed on a dexterity saving throw or take bludgeoning damage equal to your fighter level plus your strength modifier and fall prone. If the space is occupied, the thrown creature lands in the nearest unoccupied space you choose. So you basically are just like, ah, I'm done with you. Yeet! <laughs> Get into that crowd of people. Uh, wrenching lock is the last spot that you're able to get. When you make a melee weapon attack against a creature that you are grappling, you can spend two heat. On a hit, you add damage equal to your fighter level, plus your strength modifier, and the target has disadvantage on ability checks to escape the grapple until the end of their next turn. Oh. You are two heat, but I love that. You're just hitting them right in the fucking gizzard. It's good. Now, we get to the gimmicks. At seventh oh, I level, you were being, I thought you were being sarcastic. It's literally no, it's literally called gimmick. <laughs> At seventh level, <laughs> you become confident in your persona as a combat performer and adopt a gimmick. Each has a unique method to impress the unseen crowd and draw heat. Every gimmick also has its own finisher, a spot that costs three heat to perform. Damn. Here's where it gets gimmicky. Yeah. 
Um, now, Metal, I know you like to read ahead, but I, I try not to read Technician just yet, because that's the one that I want you to react to. Okay. <laughs> so you choose one gimmick. You can choose an additional gimmick at 15th level. There's only three of them. <clears throat> the first up is High Flyer. The High Flyer is focused on hurtling their body through the air in high-risk dives to destroy enemies and thrill everyone else. You gain a climbing speed equal to your walking speed. Additionally, when you jump from climbing a surface too steep to stand on, you can travel up to half your speed horizontally without spending movement if you fall at least 10 feet. <clears throat> so, first up, we've got Splashing Attack. You can use a bonus action to spread your body wide and dive into a creature. You make a high jump, covering double the normal distance vertically and without spending movement. If you aren't tiny and fall at least 20 feet into a small or larger creature's space, take damage from the fall as normal and make a melee weapon attack against the creature. On a hit, you deal an extra 2d6 damage and draw 2 heat. You then land in the nearest unoccupied space. You're literally jumping off the top rope. <laughs> the finisher for High Flyer <laughs> is Shooting Star Press. You jump into a backflip on your way into your dive, driving the force of your impact straight into an enemy. As an action, you can spend three heat to make a high jump, covering double the normal distance vertically and without spending movement. If you are not tiny and fall at least 20 feet into a small or larger creature's space, it must make a dexterity saving throw. On a failed save, you take no fall damage, and the target takes damage equal to the damage resulting from the fall, plus your fighter level, plus your dex bonus. The target is also knocked prone unless it's more than two size categories larger than you. On a successful save, you take half the damage resulting from the fall. Either way, you land in the nearest unoccupied space. I will never again question the prompt. I jump onto the table. Why do you jump onto the Yeah, I jump onto the table. <laughs> I, was, I was reading this because I was curious. I'm like, you jump into a backflip on your way to a dive. I'm like, I wonder if that was stacked with rabbit hop. And I'm like, no, I don't think you can. No, because you have to jump off of a vertical surface that cannot be stood upon. Rabbit hop requires you to be moving. The direction and way you are moving is not specified in any way, shape, or form. It for high flyer? No, no, rabbit. The heron gone, Rachel. I I'm aware of that. I'm talking about this requires you to be jumping off of a vertical surface. Yeah, what I was, I was reading it originally because you were talking about. It, and I'm sitting here like I wonder if you could stack rabbit hop and this. And that's what I am were... telling you is that no, I don't think you can. Well, yeah. One because this is a jump and rabbit hop is its own separate thing. So like why are you arguing jump? with me? I guess I was reading semantics. I wasn't arguing. I was making an observation. Moving on. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> technician. The technician is a master of grappling, maneuvering limbs to constrict enemies in new and creative ways. Once per round on your turn, when you hit a creature within your reach with a melee weapon attack, you can also attempt to grapple them. Additionally, you do not need a free hand to attempt a grapple. Hmm. Pinning setup. Feet. Huh? Use your feet. <laughs> or your sword. While grappling a creature, as an action, you can attempt to pin it into a more compromising position. The target must make a strength saving throw. On a failed save, you draw two heat. 
The target can't cast spells with somatic components and has disadvantage on attack rolls until it escapes the grapple. Additionally, until the target escapes the grapple, you take only half the damage dealt to you, and the target takes the other half. You can only have one creature pinned at a time. Now, this next one, the finisher boot squad. While grappling a creature, you can use your action and spend three heat to call allies for a coordinated beatdown. Each friendly creature within 30 feet of you can immediately use its reaction to move up to its speed without provoking opportunity attacks. Then you and each friendly creature within five feet of a creature that you are grappling can make a a weapon melee attack against a grappled creature. These attacks don't cause you to draw heat. You basically go, you whistle like, I got one, boys! (laughs) And just go, 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 go. <laughs> Some boys. That's Rattle them, boys. Imagine if you have people like modifiers on your attacks, like holy weapon and shit like that. And now they're all just getting free, free bonus damage tags. Dude, we are men. Oh. We're men in tights, We're tight men tights. tights. <laughs> yeah, no, I just love that it's called Boot Squad. <laughs> I just <laughs> love the thought of everyone being engaged in their own fight, and then I'm just like, boys! <laughs> just like, one second. <laughs> Sorry, we'll be back. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> right, I'm just I'm also back. kind of imagining... <laughs> What's the, what's the, what, was it West Side Story where they're all going down the street snapping their fingers or whatever? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think my Christopher was picking that up. <laughs> Uh, West Side Story, someone's ass. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I read that and I about pissed myself laughing. <laughs> that is actually very funny. So, lastly for the gimmicks, we have Powerhouse. The Powerhouse is an unstoppable force that walks through battle as blows glance off their mighty form. You have advantage on saving throws made to resist being moved or knocked prone. Additionally... When using the second wind feature, you can treat a d10 roll of six or lower as seven. Mm. The first ability there is no cell. Uh, you have you invite your pitiful attackers to show you their wrath, and the energy of the fight itself demands they answer. As an action, you can goad foes into taking a free shot, quote unquote. Choose a number of creatures within 60 feet of you who can see and or hear you up to a number equal to your proficiency bonus. Each target must make a wisdom saving throw. A target automatically passes this save if it can't be charmed. On a failed save, the target must attempt or a target must attempt to make at least one uh, weapon attack against you during its next turn. If it can't do so, it does nothing. Until the start of your next turn, you have resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage, and the first time a creature makes a weapon attack against you, you draw two heat. I <laughs> I just realized what the, the name No Cell actually refers yep. to. I think it was a, a fucking DBZ abridged commentary video that yep, we were watching. Yep, that's where I knew it from the too. Exact reference. <laughs> that's fucking funny. So for I'm those lost. who aren't super... So a no-sell is a wrestling term. If you've ever watched wrestling, when someone gets hit by, you know, a hit, 
they go down and they're like, oh, fuck, that really fucking hurt. But really, it was just like a light tickle because they're practicing this all the time to not actually get hurt. There they're are selling it. Yeah, they're selling the hit to make it seem like it's a big hit. And especially when like wrestlers go for their big finisher moves, the people's elbow. Kinda, it's good. Yeah, exactly. That you kind of go, f- like you kind of have to sell it for the ratings. Otherwise, you know. But there are some out there that are so prideful that if they get if they're scheduled to lose that match and they have to lose by the people's elbow, the Rock goes for it takes him down, and he's like, ah, fuck, that hurts. The ref calls the win, and as soon as the win is done, he pops up and is just fine. That's a no-sell. And that kind of ruins the general immersion of the theater of the whole thing. So the no-sell is basically like, come on, take your shot. I'm literally not going to react to it. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the finisher is called Bulldozer. You channel the awe of the crowd to trample all who stand in your way. At the start of your turn, you can spend three heat. Until the end of your turn, you can move through a creature's space once if it is no more than one one size category larger than you, treating it as normal terrain. If you do, the creature must succeed on a strength saving throw or take damage equal to your fighter level plus your strength modifier be knocked prone. You literally just walk through bitches. (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) out of my way (laughs) i wish to be there and you are in the way um so uh moving on from the gimmicks at 10th level you have captivating endurance you draw heat when you uh refuse to drop you draw one heat when using your second wind feature additionally you can use your second wind feature as a reaction to being reduced to zero hit points At 15th level, you have Contender's Bravado. You can clear your mind when you feel the crowd's attention. As a reaction to being charmed or frightened by a hostile creature, you can end the effect and draw one heat. Finally, at 18th level, you have Legendary Champion. You hear the din of the crowd day and night. When you roll initiative, you draw one heat. Additionally, you can draw heat from an appeal even if you've already drawn it from another source. Oh, you can gain two heat per. Basically. Hmm. Yeah. So some very, very fucking interesting options there. Kidney punch. (laughs) Closing, closing (laughs) remarks before we get to kidney punch. (laughs) Scrolling up so we can't read it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sorry. Um, I'll admit, I, I'm not a huge, actually, I'm not a really a fan at all of, um, like, re- TV wrestling, that the WWE and everything, so a lot of this is very foreign to me for, uh, this subclass for the fighter, but I can definitely see, uh, how a lot of, uh, some people I know would have a lot of fun with this subclass. I mean, to be fair, I'm not a wrestling guy either. I just want to beat the shit out of people off the top rope. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Fair enough. I'll shut my whore mouth. (laughs) I will say I was never big on watching wrestling. I love playing the games. 
Like, the N64 wrestling, being able to run around as a black ninja and fight, like, um, the Ultimate Warrior and all that. Like, the Ultimate Warrior is probably the only wrestler that I actually watched as a kid and was excited to see him. Um, I'm not gonna lie, Ian's, like, naming all these wrestlers, and I'm just <laughs> imagining, like, fantasy, like, the Ultimate Warrior, some dude, like, wearing knight armor, sword, shield, I'm just like, the Ultimate Warrior, yeah! No, if, if, <laughs> if my memory serves, he actually had a really bright star painted all over his face. Yes, I totally... I yeah. still don't, that, that or, would make me recognize Sting, The Undertaker, The Rock. What about um, Bonesaw? Bonesaw is Saw ready. All Actually, I know is I wasn't that Randy Lex Savage? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All I remember is Lex Luthor, and that's Nothing because official. my cousin knew her daughter, and I got to meet him. Oh, man. Yeah. That's All right. Well, I, I just like the memes. Like, what was what was the one with all the anime where Bleach comes back from the dead? It's just the Undertaker coming out of the coffin. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's move on to the Paladin Oath of Revolution. Yeah. Revolution. Mother. Fucker. <laughs> 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 so the monastic tradition way of the kidney punch. When you choose this tradition at third level, you learn to shock an enemy system with key, leaving them gasping for breath. When you hit another creature with an unarmed strike, you can spend one key point to attempt a kidney punch. The target must make a constitution saving throw. On a failed save, the target suffers one level of exhaustion. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Yeah, so this is the one that I had a question for, and I don't know that any of the Heartleaf guys are watching or listening right now, but maybe if they if they listen to the podcast later, they can answer this. What's the DC for the saving throw on this? Um, it's not listed. I think there's actually a overall monk saving throw for whatever use key stuff. Uh, let's take a look-see, because that might be... Um, that might be the case, and I just... Oh, so someone in the chat says I can grab them? Grab what? Are we, are we grabbing... <laughs> oh, they might be trying to grab. <laughs> see if you can grab them before we find the answer. <laughs> uh, let's see. Key points, key points. Scroll the key. Running through the office. Uh, <laughs> starting at second level, your training allows you to harness the mystic energy of key. You access... Your access to the energy, blah, 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 don't care... Uh, when you spend a key point, it is unavailable until you finish the long rest. Cool. Oh, okay. A key save, uh, DC is eight plus your proficiency plus your wisdom. So it is a overall key saving score. Yes. I, I thought that was the case because there's a lot of other stuff monks have I, just their, a regular class, I think. I have not personally played a monk, so I was not aware of that yet. I knew that they had key and I knew what a lot of their abilities were. I was not aware that there was an overarching key save DC, which I'm assuming would pop up around the area of like your spell save DC and all that on D&D Beyond. But yeah, when I saw that, I was reading it at the office and I was like, they're, huh? What? <laughs> so here's the other thing. Give someone levels of exhaustion. What the fuck? Yeah, well, so Imagine here's... Imagine somebody in your party pisses you off. <laughs> here's, here's the other thing, though. Um, gotcha. <laughs> exhaustion... At the moment, they're using the current D&D 5e exhaustion rules, where one level of exhaustion gives you disadvantage on ability checks, two levels 
your speed is halved. Three levels, you have disadvantage on attack rolls and saving throws. At four levels, your hit point maximum is halved. Just like, stop fucking hitting my kidneys. <laughs> At fifth level, your speed is reduced to zero. You are racked with pain. Your kidneys have exploded. And at six levels of exhaustion, you're just dead. Kidney failure. <laughs> oh, yeah, kidney renal fail- failure. <laughs> now, if we're looking at this in the sense of um, the theoretical 1D&D's exhaustion levels, while this isn't necessarily as detrimental... So for those of you that aren't aware, the, the theoretical rules for exhaustion if when, when 1D&D comes out is you can have up to 10 levels of exhaustion. For each level of exhaustion you have, you have a negative one to any D20 test, which is attacks, spells, uh, saving throws, or spell attacks, right? Attacks, uh, ability checks, okay. saving throws, and saving throws. If you are a spellcaster, your spell save DC goes down by one as well. So if you have six levels of exhaustion, your attacks, saving throws, and ability checks are negative six, and your spell save DC is negative six, making you overall weaker. And I think at ten levels of exhaustion, you're just you dead. <laughs> so I either way, this is fucking like detrimental at third just, level I just <laughs> I just want to point out um let's see by fifth level you have five key points yeah using I think let's see how much does um hold on, how much does fury of blows use Fur- fury of blows only use one key point <laughs> So you oh, can just go goosh, no. go 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 goosh, <laughs> <laughs> and just have four levels of exhaustion immediately. Pretty much. What the hey, fuck? Hey, Zeke. <laughs> yeah. Can can I do this for my monk? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really tempted to let you, buddy. Yes, please. <laughs> we We've guys been walking for three days outright. I'm just kidneys. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is the first feature of this class. There's more. What in the world? <laughs> yeah, because let's see. By fifth level, you can attack twice. Fury of Blows gives you four... Uh, no, sorry, Fury of Blows gives you two other unarmed strikes. So by fifth level, you can take them down to no speed if you hit all of your punches. And if they and successfully they save, their, yeah. And, or if they and, don't and save, sorry. Saving but still, just the <gasps> No! That. Oh my god! The fighter! Hey, monk buddy! Come get this guy! Talk about kicking him when you're down, Jeez. I mean, not only that, but if the if the fighter has him grappled, they have advantage on their attacks! <laughs> Wait, Holy shit! That checks when it comes to like strength and dexterity. I'm sorry, say again. Grappled? Like, don't they have disadvantage? Like, if dexterity else saving attacking, throws, they have not constitution. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. But <clears throat> also, if you find a wizard that's giving you a lot of trouble, they probably don't have very high constitution. Uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> 
I mean, even even if you do have a decent amount of constitution, I mean, it's it's eight plus your proficiency. So you said level five, right? Yeah, level five. So you'd have three proficiencies. So you're already looking at eleven plus your wisdom modifier, which could be anywhere from what, like two to five, maybe as a monk. Yeah. So you're looking at a potential DC of thirteen to sixteen. Oh, that's, that's pretty so significant. Gross. Yeah. <clears throat> and for a wizard, yeah, that constitution saving throw is going to be real it's, hard. Yeah. <laughs> this, is a, this is a wizard killer. This is what this is. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wizard just, just casts heat water on his head. Monk. The fucking jock wrestler and the monk just gang up on the On the nerd! Just put him in a headlock. Just fucking nerd. Just give him a noogie and shit. Oh my god. So, let, let's let's move on to the, the next three features that we have here. <laughs> There's more! There's more. At 6th level, we have Cheap Shot. You've been in enough fights to know how to fall away from an enemy's attack and into a position to break fingers. As a reaction to being hit with a melee attack, the damage you take from the attack is reduced by 1d10 plus your dex plus your monk's level. If you reduce the damage to zero, you can exploit their overextension and spend one key point to make an unarmed strike against the attacker as part of the same reaction. Just fucking go for the kidneys. On a hit, (laughs) if the attacker used a weapon, it must succeed on a dexterity saving throw or drop the weapon in the nearest unoccupied space 15 feet away. <laughs> right, yeah. I like is drop in fucking quotations. <laughs> oh man, I failed this. That's like <laughs> I mean, you're, you're you're probably hitting in the kidneys so they're doing like that jerk reaction like <laughs> and there goes their sword flying. <laughs> okay, listen. 5 feet understandable. 15 feet my ass. Well, now, if you also kind of consider the fact that the arm is coming down with the sword and you were to, like, jab them in their wrist, then in that full swing and you just let go, like, if you're making a swing to cleave through armor and people's bones, you're you're moving that arm. And if they stop it at the top of the swing, it's going. No, if it's at the top of the swing, there's no momentum to it. If if you're, like, sure. This arm is coming down. Or, or up in like an upward sweep. You can, you can definitely throw something 15 feet. Easy. Our driveway is like 20. <laughs> You're telling me you couldn't throw a sword to the end of the driveway? If I was intentionally trying to throw a sword, yes. If you were swinging your arm with enough force to go through armor and people's muscle and bone, and someone were to just like hit your wrist to make you let go, it's going that far. I'm sorry, I'm confused. What's all this in meters? We only speak in freedom <laughs> units here. Uh, what, a yardstick is how don't many you, Don't you do what you fucking need. Uh, unplug the toaster. <laughs> we don't need this from him. <laughs> Xbox, turn off. <laughs> it's bad. Smash. So, (laughs) at 11th level, we get Run Them Ragged. The spiritual aspects of your monastic training focus on making the most of every opening, and you have put this lesson into practice with unsettling ferocity. You can attempt a kidney punch without spending key, 
when you hit a creature with the first unarmed strike granted by your flurry of blows. Oh! You get another one. You get another one. You get another one. You get another one. No! I told you it gets better. Wait a... Wait, I just want to point out, by that time, you have 11 key points. Uh-huh. That's enough to put two different things almost dead. Can I tell you the 17th level one? No. It's called Zika fucking aneurysm. It's called Gutter Master. You have achieved an enlightened understanding of using your body for unfair fighting. Your fists move as fast as your ejections from the bars you frequent. When you take the attack action, you can spend some of your key to continue attacking. For every three key points spent in this way, make an additional unarmed strike. Oh. Yeah. It's JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> God, we've only made it through Monk. I need more whiskey. All I'm thinking of, Zeke, is the fucking, the fucking golden boys from fucking Texas Speech. The fucking music that it plays when they come in. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is so messed busted. up. It's busted. <laughs> Use it. You t- say exactly what it is. If you guys are the critters listening to this, fantastic class. Shit's broken it. as fuck. <laughs> I love it so much. So, so that that means my character can be no. this. No. <laughs> I'm real tempted to let you, buddy. I'm real tempted. Oh, I say yes. I need my boyfriend alive. Stop trying to kill him with monks from anime. (laughs) So everybody's classes are balanced. Hold one second. Let me throw a wrench into that fucking player. (laughs) Oh my goodness. You know, you know that these guys were just sitting in a room going. (laughs) (laughs) These Jojo Bizarre's adventure watching motherfuckers. (laughs) Oh, there's actually. No, keep keep talking. I'm going to look for something. Uh... I love the thought of them just, like, sitting around the table, just like, all right, what mechanics don't get used very much? What uh, system is often overlooked in D&D? Exhaustion. All right, how do we fuck with that? Well, if you punch them in the kidneys. I bet they fucking did, Crad. Oh my oh god. Oh my gosh. <laughs> also, Meta, we just shared the same brain cell. Stop it. <laughs> uh, okay, I think it's a class oh. further down. There, I, I meant to write this down, but I didn't. There, There's a bit of lore that it's, it's one fucking sentence at the end of a paragraph, but it had me rolling laughing. <laughs> We're going to okay. have to put that in the Discord when you find it, if you find it. Oh. No, I'll say it on the stream for sure once I get around to it. Um, oh, okay. So up oh, next, we have the, uh, the Paladin Oath of Revolution. It's been. This one feels very roleplay heavy. And it's as um, uh, Marcus was saying earlier, probably makes a lot more sense in their world setting than a normal one. Um. And actually, I, I do think I need to go get another whiskey. So anyone that's looking at this, if you would like to take over for oh. a moment, starting with the Tenets of Revolution. 
Yeah, I can. Right. No? Are, okay. are you sure? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm okay. I need something to focus on. Okay, uh, distract forward. yourself. I'll be back in a minute. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Woo! Okay, Tenets of Revolution. Paladins who take the Oath of Revolution recite three words as a guiding light pointing them towards righteous action. Judgment. The weak and powerless trust in your discernment, thus you owe them a verdict guided by righteousness. You are tasked with sub soberly recognizing the world's hidden corruption. Second word is conviction. When you find, excuse me, when you find people treated unfairly, your immediate priority is inspiring them to action. Whenever possible, you must aid the oppressed in establishing a better path for themselves. You are, you are in, oh, sorry. Let me start that over. You are insurrection's shepherd, not its sword. Last word is equity? Equity. Okay, I'm just making sure my, my brain's not fooling me. Equity. <laughs> Strive to be the arch archetype of fairness and demonstrate the worthiness of law. Leaders look to you for insight into how a community should met out justice. Any decay in their understanding of this is your responsibility. I'm back. So that's uh, their oath. Uh, that's a fairly common uh, <clears throat> thing across all paladins. They'll usually have like a three-word oath. To be uh, fair. The oath spells that you get. I'm third sorry. level. I misread Becca's thing. I thought she said a bunch of fucking nipples. Not hippies. <laughs> anyway. Welcome back. <laughs> Hi. Uh, as, a, as a paladin, you get oath spells. Oath spells are spells that you automatically know and don't have to expend uh, a, a known spell for. Paladin at third level, you already know alarm and comprehend languages. At fifth level, you know gust of wind and see invisibility. Ninth level, you know counterspell and speak with the dead. Thirteenth level, compulsion and divination. And seventeenth level, you know dream and scrying. All very good uh, spells, especially for paladin. See invisibility, counterspell, speak with dead. Very nice. Speak with dead is really, really good if used properly. And I don't feel like a lot of people use it when they have access to it. Yeah, it's like, I don't have access to, uh, to speak with the dead today. Well, cut off his head and bring it with us. Yeah, stuff <laughs> it in the bag sorry. of holding. Who doesn't use speak with dead? <laughs> I thought I used it pretty well against Seto there. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Ian, can I tell them what happened after that first session? Uh, when you texted me. Uh, I, I don't even remember, so yeah, go for it. <laughs> We were t we were talking to each we were texting each other back and forth after you ended the first session and you were like, yeah, they asked if there were any more on the way. They didn't ask if there were any more already on the boat. Oh, that's right. <laughs> they they fought three on the surface of the boat or on the top deck of the boat and he took one of their heads and was like, hey, are there any more on the way? And he said, no, because there wasn't. But he didn't ask if there were more on the ship. <laughs> so they're like, oh yeah, we're done here. They went downstairs and it's like, oh no. You <laughs> You're so good about that. <laughs> oh, did I not tell you that, Metal? I never caught that. He's <laughs> like, no, there's no more on the way. They're I didn't technically lie. Uh, uh, would you like words. to uh, round out the paladin Zeke, or do you want me to take back over? Absolutely, sure. Uh, your channel div divinity. Uh, one is compel obedience. You get these at third level. <clears throat> sorry, As you get action... two channel divinity options. Yes, sorry. Um, compel 
Obeisance. Obeisance. It's basically you're, you're you're forcing someone to obey you. Okay, I was making sure that wasn't supposed to be obedience, and we needed to have a talk with the editor. Yeah, compel obesity. <laughs> uh, action. action. Make him fat. <laughs> Can fucking do. Where's my carry on? As an action, you present your holy symbol and invoke the eminence of your deity using channel divinity. A creature you can see within sixty feet must make a charisma saving throw. A target automatically succeeds on a saving throw if it can't be charmed. Uh, a target who creates or enforces laws in their community, such as a mayor, judge, or lord, has disadvantage on this saving throw. On a failed save, the creature falls prone and cannot stand for one minute. At the start of each of your turns for the next minute, you can ask the target a question that it must answer truthfully and to the best of its ability. So that's ten each questions. The... Yeah. Each time wow. the target takes damage... It can make another charisma saving throw on a successful save, or once the effect ends, the target becomes immune to this feature for the next 24 hours. Oh. I was really confused for a Sorry, while that was happening, Becca was texting me saying, you motherfucker, you were my favorite, and now I hate your stupid face. And I was like, what the fuck did I do? I thought it was a nipple comment or something. She goes, that whole shit with the campaign, you sneaky bastards. Like, oh, right, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, moving on. Next, uh, next channel divinity. <laughs> I'm not sure I know this word either. Invisive. Invisive. Uh, yeah, evincive. Evincive strike. After making a weapon. Ooh, sorry, let me move. The after making a weapon, weapon attack. I think that might be a typo. Weapon. Yeah. Editor. <laughs> after making a melee weapon attack. Just, let's just say assume. after making a weapon attack. Okay. You can immediately declare an evinic strike. <laughs> I'm the one that's drinking. <laughs> Evincive. You know I can't do pronunciation of new words I know. that I don't know. <laughs> uh, you cannot use a result altered by another ability, such as the luck feat, for this purpose. Record the result of the attack's d20 roll. Until the start of your next turn, friendly creatures within 30 feet of you can replace the result of, of the d20 roll. The first attack they make on their turn with the strike roll. They must choose <laughs> Just skip to do the so word entirely. D don't judge me. <laughs> so, uh, but for for what I can tell, this is not a um, this is not a roll that gets used up. It's a continuous you can just pick this out of thin air uh, until I do it again kind of thing. Until the start of your next turn, any friendly creatures within 30 feet of you can replace their roll with your previous roll. For the first wow. attack they make on their turn. Yes. Wow. <clears throat> so that's so yeah, that's interesting because I, I know there's some similar abilities to this, but wherein especially for like the divination wizard or the cleric from uh the um mythos campaign we were doing, uh it's like a one and done, but this one is like everyone can use it. So if it's a really good roll, everyone's gonna wanna use it. So if there's a class that anybody would want Zach to play, I would imagine it'd probably be this one. Because uh, <laughs> what I was gonna say is that it says after making a weapon attack you can immediately declare it if he rolls a natural 20 all friendly creatures within 30 feet can make their first attack a natural 20 how much money you want to pay me to play this class guys <laughs> zon is not anywhere near able to be a paladin <laughs> no, no 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 we have another campaign coming up. oh 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 
I don't know. You're too murder hobo. How much do you want to pay me to be this? Patreon's in the description. <laughs> yeah. Go to our coffee link. I promise to send the money to him. <laughs> All right. At seventh level, you get the aura of justice's mandate. You project an aura that can transform a failing rebel insurrection into the start of a new era of justice. If you aren't incapacitated, you and your friendly creatures, you can see within 120 feet of you gain a plus one bonus to all attack and damage rolls. At 18th level, the range of this aura increases to one mile. Fuck. What the heck? <laughs> so again, this this paladin's uh, subclass is meant to literally be a beacon a leader of rebellion so you know you stand on the clock tower and you're like two arms and everyone's like (laughs) (laughs) what was the fucking oh what was the race that just couldn't speak it was like a little fucking bird yes (laughs) i just picture one of those being one of these just (laughs) yeah i like what he said (laughs) Just climbing to the watchtower, just... <laughs> <laughs> People start throwing shit out windows, just inciting a riot. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> All you hear is a cacophony of... <laughs> from the streets. So, are we overthrowing the bourgeoisie tonight? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Also, just this... This feature in particular, I don't know why, but every, all the jokes you've been saying about it gave me a flashback to Fairly Odd Parents. I can see. I, I can, can fight. fight. <laughs> Man, all right. I just picture at 18th level, like watching over a battlefield from like a fucking castle wall or something, and then just fucking absolutely decimating an entire army with your. Well, granted, it is a pl- only a plus one bonus to attack, but still, with uh, like a thousand creatures getting that, I don't know. <laughs> I also like the idea of Kip being in, in in his city. He's built like some ramparts, and he's just eating chips. And this dude's coming out, and he's like, "Ah, yeah, we're gonna storm your place." And you just look behind, and go, "Bah," and just bricks 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 all right zeke round us out we got two more features here and we can move on to the ranger okay divine jurats ian jurat thank you divine jurats discernment back off bitch this is my class Starting at 15th level, you are immune to being charmed. Additionally, whenever you hear a deliberate lie, you hear the words of a spoken by two distorted voices at once. Oh? Damn. Yeah. Screw the inside check. What inside check? You hear that shit. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But now the key word there is deliberate lie. If someone is regurgitating a lie then they don't know it's a lie, then it's not deliberate. That's a On key. On the bright side, you'll always know if you're being cheated at a gambling place. If, yeah. mm, it depends. I mean, are they like really loudly shuffling the cards or something? Because you have to hear it. Well, no, 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 no. So you, you, it says right here. Hold on a second here. Uh, where'd it go? Whenever when you, when you, you hear, hear deliberate lie, so if, you're being, if you are given cards and you look them in the eyes and say, did you cheat? 
and give me cards. Oh, okay. And they well, give you any kind of answer. Well, you didn't you know specifically say that. I, I was thinking more like they're dealing the cards out, and the cards are like they're lying, they're lying, cheater. It's like no, it has to be able to talk. Sorry, <laughs> right, I, I, I immediately assumed that you had some form of intelligence. My apologies. Wait, 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 time out. I want everyone to look at the comment section real quick where Becca just put Zahn always sounding like he's in an echo chamber. <laughs> well, an echo yeah. chamber? All the voices in my head tell me things. It's just the same stuff that comes out of my mouth. No, no, it's because everything that if a paladin was near Zahn, everything they would hear would be two distorted voices. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> what, Zahn is a lie? Uh, How dare you? There's an item oh, called man. Deck of the Cheated? Hold up. Z, keep reading. I'm oh. going to look this up. All right. Last but not least, Avatar of Just Sedition. It At 20th be level. Bad item. Huh? It might be a devil's bad item, Ian. Oh. oh. <laughs> At 20th level, you can call forth the song of insurrection against the against oppression. Not against the oppressed. That would go against the entire thing. You can call forth the song of insurrection against oppression. As an action, you gain the following benefits for one minute. You can't be blind, paralyzed, pestrified, or stunned. Pestrified? You gain a flying speed of up to your uh, walking speed and can hover. Your voice booms up to three times as loud as normal. You cast the spell Divine Word once per turn without spending a spell slot. Damn. Each friendly creature that you can see reroll one attack roll, saving throw, or ability score once during the duration. That can see you. Sorry, messed that up. Once you use this feature, you can't use it again until uh, you finish a long rest. So basically, you're the president from uh, Independence Day. <laughs> sure, why not? He... <laughs> I mean, he wasn't blinded, paralyzed, petrified, or stunned, so by all and accounts, you're not wrong. Voice. <laughs> <laughs> and he was flying later on that movie. I hate you and everything so, that just came out of your mouth. <laughs> so Krad says there's an item called Deck of the Cheated, and Marcus says, yes, it screams if it is cheated with. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help but think of the scream cheese from Hotel Transylvania. Just... <laughs> you just hear a card from down his sleeve. Just get me out of here! Get me out of here! It's dark in here! <laughs> He is dishonest. Do not believe him. Break up his sleeve. <laughs> what oh, am I doing in this guy's pants? Okay, we're just gonna move on to Ranger now. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna be injury. honest with you. I'm really interested in Ranger. The Ranger archetype is called Carrion Master. Oh. So. Oh. Yeah, looking at the artwork there. Starting at third level, you learn an additional spell when you reach certain levels in this class, as shown in the Carrion Master spell table. The spell counts as a ranger spell, and it doesn't count towards the number of ranger spells you know. Carrion Crafting. You also get this at third level. You gain proficiency with leather worker's tools. As part of a short or long rest, you can transform the corpse of a beast into a carrion companion. Choose its stat block, oh. zombie touch, skeleton touch, or shadow touch. These are all listed below. Which uses your proficiency bonus in several places. The stat blocks for carrion companions are listed at the end of the subclass description. As I just said. Additionally, all carrion companions have the following trait. Profane bond. 
You can add your proficiency bonus to any ability check or saving throw that the companion makes. Pet in combat, anyone? huh? I said pet cemetery. Anyone? Uh, dude, you don't know the half of it. In combat, <clears throat> your companion acts during your turn. It can move and use it to reaction on its own, but the only action it takes is a dodge action unless you take a bonus action on your turn to command it to take another action. That action can be one in its stat block or some other action. When you take the attack action, you can forego one of your attacks to command your companion to take the attack action. If you are incapacitated, the beast can take any action of its choice, not just dodge. You can also command any other undead under your control as part of the bonus action used to command your companion. If the carrion companion has died within the last hour, you can use your action to touch it and expend a spell slot of first level or higher. It returns to life after one minute with all of its hit points restored. When you finish a long rest, you can create a different carrion companion. <clears throat> You choose its stat block and appearance. If you already have a companion from this feature, it is reduced to ashes when the new corpse is animated. <clears throat> you can disguise your carrion companion as a living animal. To discern its true form, an observer must make a perception check against your passive dexterity leatherworker's tools check. I feel like Zutrioth is just in the corner having a conniption. Oh, he's foaming at the mouth and twitching. <laughs> Meanwhile, Pez is just looking at all the dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, at third level, you get Grim Bond. You can treat undead creatures you target with spells as if they were beasts. Additionally, if you spend hit dice to heal as part of a short rest, you can also apply that healing to any undead under your control. Time out. Hmm? Does that mean um, speak with animals counts for undead? Uh, yes. Yeah. Because you treat undead creatures as if they were beasts. That's all I can weird. Call I'm just imagining this. Go talk to that. Go talk to that beast. <laughs> Put me out of my misery. So I want to go back in the box. As you, oh god damn it! <laughs> as you grow in power, the dark whispers that command your companion also affect other undead. Starting at seventh level, you get the dread compromise spreads. You can use your action to raise the corpse of a medium or small humanoid or beast you touch as a zombie under your control. Or bring a zombie within 30 feet under your control. The GM has a creature's game statistics. You can control only one zombie at a time with this feature. Additionally, your companion's attacks now count as magical for the purpose of overcoming resistance and immunity to non-magical attacks and damage. That's also pretty common for a ranger... Uh, normal Beastmaster Ranger's pet. <clears throat> Starting at 11th confirm. level, you get Carrion Mastery. When you use Carrion Crafting, you can also choose from the following stat blocks. Ghoul Touched, Mummy Touched, or Wraith Touched. So instead of just having three stat blocks to choose from, you now have six stat blocks to choose from. Are you my mummy? At 11th level, again, you get <laughs> Profane Graft. 
As part of a short or long rest, you can graft parts from the preserved corpse of a beast onto your companion if the corpse has been dead for less than one year. Add one of the following traits to your companion or replace an existing one. The corpse used to harvest the parts needed for the graft is destroyed in the process. At 15th level, your companion can have two of these traits at once. So, Scorpion Tail. This graft requires the corpse of a giant scorpion, and you get Sting. It recharges on a 5 or a 6. It's a melee weapon attack. Uh, proficiency bonus plus strength modifier to hit, 5 feet of reach. 1d10 plus the companion's strength modifier plus your proficiency bonus piercing damage. And the target must make a constitution saving throw against your spell save DC, taking 4d10 poison damage on a failed save or half as much during a successful one. <clears throat> Damn. Spider legs is another one. It has to requires the corpse of a giant spider. A hamburger will be unstoppable with more animal parts. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> Your companion gains a climb speed of 30 feet if it doesn't already have one. Web sack is another one. Again, you need the corpse of a giant spider. You have web, recharges on a 5 or a 6. Sorry, when I say recharges on a 5 or a 6, after the ability is used, I believe at the start of the creature's turn, you roll a d6. If you roll a 5 or a 6, the ability comes back. If not, you don't have it for that turn. And you do this every single turn. <clears throat> Web is a ranged weapon attack. It's your proficiency bonus plus dex to hit. It is a range of 30 to 60 feet, or 30 feet normal range, 60 feet at disadvantage. One creature. If it's a hit... The target is restrained by webbing. As an action, the restrained target can make a strength check against your spell save DC, bursting the webbing on a success. The webbing can also be attacked and destroyed. It has an AC of 10, 5 hit, uh, five hit points, and is vulnerable to fire damage. It is immune to bludgeoning, poison, and psychic damage. The second to last option is webbed feet. Uh, this comes from the corpse of a giant toad. Your companion gains a swimming speed of 30 feet. And last but not least, wings. This requires the corpse of a medium or larger flying beast. Your companion gains a flying speed of 40 feet if it doesn't already have one. So, huh? I just this entire subclass is off-putting. I love it. Yeah, yeah it's a little <laughs> fucked up, but in kind of a really fun way. Uh, <laughs> Victor Frankenstein. It, literally. Uh, so, curiosity has become obsession. You give your companion one of your body parts, and you take one of theirs. Your oh. spiral into stewardship of unnature induces flashes of undeath. At 15th level, you get the feature Unnatural Becoming. You can use your action to assume the traits of your carrion companion and, assume, and it assumes yours. This effect lasts for one minute. You and your companion gain the following benefits. Your creature type becomes undead. You gain resistance to cold damage. You gain immunity to necrotic damage. You can take any special actions that your companion has access to. When you cast a spell targeting yourself, you can also affect your carrion companion with the spell if it is within 30 feet of you. Additionally, you can command your companion in any undead under your control without using your bonus action. Zutrioth is way past a fucking conniption right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so there's a bunch of stat blocks here for the Ghoul Touch, Shadow Touch, Mummy Touch, Skeleton Touch, um, and Wraith Touch, and Zombie Touch. I'm not going to go over them because it's a lot of information, but there's some fun ones in here. I think the one that I'm most interested in is Shadow Touch because basically they're, they have a feature called Amorphous. The Shadow Touch can move through a space as narrow as one inch wide without squeezing. My initial thought is put it in a jar and just release it as a black clash. That bleh, but anyway, <laughs> pocket pass, <laughs> pocket pass. Uh, so yeah, there, there's some, <laughs> there's some. It's oof. It, it's dark. like <laughs> it, Pet Cemetery meets Victor Frankenstein, but Frankenweenie. It's a, it's a really interesting way to keep, um, the Ranger pet interesting throughout the entirety the entirety of the campaign because otherwise you pick your pet at the beginning and if it doesn't die then that's just kind of what you have and i'm right. i'm gonna be kind of honest hamburger is kind of boring <laughs> but... you take that back hamburger has more kills than all of you that is true um, ex um excuse you i'm pretty sure hamburger has more uh, higher kda mm. <laughs> If anybody can get me the entire party's KDA, I will PayPal you five bucks. I Up to what's, right on that. what's this uh, oh. current session? Hold on. Oh, <laughs> hold on. I think my finder might have crashed. Oh, there it goes. Um, let's see. So I can officially initiate the challenge. Come on. What the fuck? My computer's like really bogging down for some reason. Open, damn you. So up to episode 46, give me everyone's KDA. <clears throat> Good luck. <laughs> I do I do wonder for this subclass of ranger like what the um the general populace thinks of them. So I will say that that is kind of covered through the lore. And again, I'm not covering all the lore to this cuz we would be here for about 4 hours. If I were to verbally read it aloud, because I can't say as fast as I can read, but uh, there, there's a there's a lot of in depth stuff that really goes into describing like why they're like this. <laughs> I just love that there's a subtext at the bottom of the page that's just like, could a carrion master become a lich? Oh, there's there's a different question on the bottom of every single page. It's fucking hilarious. Does, Does a, a carrion master love the companion? Yeah. Like every single fucking page. It's hilarious. <laughs> That'll, just the way you're saying that just makes me picture this little old Wait. lady sitting here reading the book. <clears throat> Does it love its companion? Hold on. We're, let me go back to the paladin one. Uh, oh, wait, no. Was it the paladin one? Uh, maybe not. I don't remember. There was a really funny one that I remember like looking at earlier today. <clears throat> Uh, so, moving right along. We only have four left. We're making good time. Right Two hours along. still. Uh, on to the rogue. Zach's favorite class ever. The silence says it all. <laughs> <clears throat> this one is actually really fucking interesting. Um, so, when is it too late for Karen? What would... Oh, he's, he's reading the other questions. Got it. Um, so the roguish archetype is called Fell Infiltrator. 
essentially these rogues their main goal is to find weed out and destroy demons that's essentially what their whole deal is but in doing so they sort of take on a demonic persona for lack of a better they're word. literally demon hunters they're war- warcraft's demon hunters they are basically demon hunters so they are called fell infiltrators when you choose this archetype at third level you get abyssal fluency you gain proficiency in the religion skill additionally you can comprehend and speak the languages of fiends starting at third level as well you have facade of the fiend um excuse me that's facade I will unplug you. <laughs> I will stuff you with wheat toast. I'm sorry, Zeke. I think you mispronounced it as well. It's pronounced fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it's French. You can use a bonus action to don the aspect of a demonic creature from beyond creation. You can use this feature twice. <clears throat> You regain expended uses when you finish a short or long rest. While you're wearing the facade of the fiend, you gain the following benefits. Your body changes into a demon's. You appear as an unnatural and dark reflection of yourself with features such as vestigial wings, horns, or scaled skin. You decide your appearance during the ritual that gives you the ability to use this feature, at which point it becomes your permanent hellish alias. So essentially, you decide what your person looks like when they activate this feature, and you're stuck with that. I am Heinz Ulgo. No, I'm just <laughs> Your creature type becomes Fiend. You roll D8s instead of D6s for the extra damage granted by the sneak attack feature. Oh. Additionally, when you deal your sneak attack damage, you can choose to deal cold, fire, or lightning damage instead of bludgeoning, piercing, or slashing damage with the attack. You gain dark vision. You can see in dim light within 60 feet of you as if it were bright light and in darkness as if it were dim light. You cannot discern color and darkness, only shades of gray. You also gain resistance to cold and poison damage and you are immune to the poison condition. Third level, by the way. You can wear the facade of of the fiend for a number of hours equal to half your rogue level rounded down. You can revert to your normal form earlier by using a bonus action on your turn. You automatically revert if you fall unconscious or drop to zero hit points or die. So if you're third level, you can only be in this form for an hour. Yeah. But if you're ninth level, you can be in this bitch for four hours. And at 20th level, you can be in it for 10. Still pretty fucking strong. (laughs) It's very strong. D8s instead of D6s. Oof. Mm. Depending on your luck, that's a lot of uh, a lot of extra damage. Not that's to mention, you can just choose to deal cold fire lightning damage instead of your normal uh, yeah. Yeah. sneak attack damage. It's like, hmm, this thing make, looks like it might be uh, resistant to bludgeoning, slashing, or whatever. Cold. Mm. Also, I could do D6 piercing damage or D8 fire damage. <laughs> cool little fun fact for those of you that have the book. If you look in the reflection of the dagger the rogue is holding, you can see a spooked out like, oh, shit, demon. <laughs> <clears throat> That's amazing. My time has come. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, also, at third level, you get Devil's Dew. When a fell infiltrator finally corners their target, they can hush the finishing stroke to prevent rousing suspicion or bothersome follow-up magic. When you deal extra damage with the sneak attack feature, you can create a zone of silence. No sound what? can be created within or pass through a 10-foot radius sphere, which is 20 feet to a side, centered on the creature. Any creature or object entirely inside the sphere is immune to thunder damage, and creatures are deafened while entirely inside it. Casting a spell that includes a verbal component is impossible there. This zone lasts until the end of your next turn. Once you use this feature, you cannot use it again until you finish a short or long rest. But is it worth it? Sorry, I was reading the bottom of the page again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is still third level. Yeah. Dude. Do, do, do we want to get to the stuff that's actually kind of really fun? Yeah, go for it. Okay. We aren't having fun yet? Wow. I, it, it gets better. So at ninth level, you get Branded Sigil. You create a set of three iron bands that each burn a different two-inch demonic sigil into objects and creatures. You can have a number of sigils active at any time equal to your proficiency bonus. You can use a bonus action to make a special melee attack against a creature or object. Make a sleight of hand check against the target's AC. On a hit, you deal 1d2 necrotic damage and burn a sigil into the target if it takes damage. Choose one of the following effects. Gugur. Yeah, Gugur, Rot. I'm sure we're pronouncing this terribly. I'm sure Cullen can pop in and say, like, you fucking idiots, it's pronounced Gugur or something. Um, Gugur. So this one is Rot. When branded onto an object, this sigil slowly eats, eats it away until it is destroyed. Aw, good night, Becca. The object takes 2d6 necrotic damage when you brand the object, and at the start of every subsequent round, as it decays into ash. If the object is huge or larger, the sigil damages a 5-foot cube of material centered on itself. The sigil can be removed by using an action to deal 5 damage to the object, destroying the part of the object bearing the brand. Otherwise, the sigil lasts until the object is destroyed, or until the following dawn. <clears throat> The next one. Hmm? How, so if this was to eat through a wall or something. Yeah. How? Oh, okay. I guess it depends on the strength of the material. Takes 2d6 necrotic damage. I guess every six seconds. In a five foot cube. Up to a five foot cube. So if you were to stamp this onto a wall, depending on how many hit points the wall has, considering that you beat the target's AC to actually brand it. Um, it would, at the very least, be able to knock out a five-foot cube. Huh. Wow, so yeah, if you're in a building and you're just like, hmm, that's a load-bearing pole, stamp, walk away. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, Does if it's like a stone pillar and it's got it like, I don't know, it's it's got what? Uh, probably 50 to 80 HP just off the top of my head. It might take a while, but yeah, that bitch is coming down. No well, one I mean, 2d6 necrotic damage every six seconds. Yeah. I mean, to be well, honest. Well, when I say it, it takes a while, I mean, just, yeah. it, it, let's say that you roll a bunch of, you, you roll ones nonstop because, you know, fuck your dice, I guess. I mean, <laughs> it'll take a while, but it, it, it's coming down. 
Like it's not going to stop until five foot by five foot by five foot is gone. Yeah, if your time limits a minute before the guard comes in and goes, all right, what the fuck you doing here? (laughs) I don't maybe not one. I don't even think it's a minute. It it there's no time on it. It just if it takes longer to go away than the following dawn, it's gonna go away. (laughs) No, I know. I just mean like it's it's it might not be as fast acting as you like depending yeah. on your yeah circumstance and depending on yeah, what you're, it, you're if, stabbing if you're like hmm, we need to break into this place but we need a distraction oh i'll make a distraction you see that building right next to it you won't in a minute <laughs> exactly one minute what's this just wait for the signal <laughs> exactly what's the signal minute. oh you'll know <laughs> well that's that's the best thing about it too like it seems like you can just like place the brand and then you just walk away yeah you just fuck It'll off okay oh <laughs> okay Bye, Isa. Saying she didn't want to interrupt. We noticed. We read. <laughs> uh, so, scooching along, so we uh, can hopefully get through these next four within the next little while here. We have gone over sure. two hours already. Uh, we have Saw, which is Whisper. After Talking. burning this mark into an object, you can use a bonus action to possess its physical form or return your consciousness to your own body. While possessing the object, you can see and hear as if you were in its space and speak with a a disembodied voice. While you were possessing the object, you were blinded and deafened in regard with your own surroundings. The sigil lasts until the following dawn. It's basically find a familiar, but find the potato or find the pocketbook. Hmm. I just put that in the fucking Chamberlain's chambers. Just fucking... All right, just fucking let me listen in now. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is that this is a two-inch demonic sigil, so you wouldn't be able to, like, stamp it onto a ring. You could probably put it yeah. on a book or... A really fat finger. Or a really... <laughs> fat. It says object. So if the finger's been severed, sure. No, no, no. If you have to wear a really chunky ring. Oh, 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 I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah can fit the brand on it sure but yeah uh uh-huh. just like stamp it on the underside of a table uh, there you go yeah and that's really fucking scary but yes <laughs> uh the third one is chot or curse when a creature is burned this is the first one that's a creature by the way uh when a creature is burned by this brand it takes extra damage from attacks equal to half your rogue level rounded down for the next minute if a creature uses an action to cut the sigil off of the creature it takes five slashing damage and the effect ends Wait, it's just it's damage? extra damage <clears throat> it's extra damage from attacks equal to half your rogue level rounded down hmm yeah it's a, it's a nice little extra boop. For anyone that's attacking it. Yeah. So, starting at ninth level, you have Devil's Tongue. You bear the countenance and beguiling nature of a devil, even when not wearing the facade of the fiend. You automatically pass saving throws to resist the Zone of Truth spell. Additionally, creatures have disadvantage on ability checks made to recognize lies that you speak or write. Hmm... At 13th level, you have Unknowable Presence. Your demonic guise shrouds you from magical spies. You cannot be targeted by any divination magic or perceived through magical scrying sensors unless you wish to be. 
As an action, you and up to 12 willing creatures can link hands to grant them the benefits of this feature for the next hour. Once you bestow this benefit, you cannot do so again until you finish a long rest. Yeah. Very nice. Now, inevitably, a Master Fell Infiltrator undertakes a mission that no creature could hope to return from. But their work continues nonetheless. At 17th level, you get Sigil of Death's Defiance. And you gain access to a fourth branded sigil. This is Bruce Defiance. After burning this mark on an object, one week after you die, for any reason except old age, your body and any equipment still on your person teleport to the nearest unoccupied space from the sigil unharmed. You return to life at full hit points, and every time you resurrect this way, your hit dice are reduced by one. Only the direct intervention of a deity can restore the lost hit dice. If you have zero hit dice, you die permanently. This sigil can only exist in one place. If you brand it to another object, the previous sigil is erased. It can be removed by using an action to deal five damage to the object, destroying the part of the object bearing the brand. (laughs) We killed the rogue! All right, let's find his sigil. Here's what? (laughs) (laughs) He's what? Oh, man. Week-long scavenger hunt. Yeah. Yeah. And especially if you consider the campaign setting where you're in a bunch of fucking wagons. It's like, well, he died, but the caravan's moving. Uh, I guess he'll catch up. (laughs) (laughs) Later, bitch, we're moving. It's like... (laughs) Like, I could just imagine the rogue getting, like, just torn to pieces by, like, a uh, an incinerate. No, not... What's the spell that's... Uh, that literally just destroys... Not incinerate. It's... Um... No, disintegrate. Disintegrate. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Sorry, sorry. I didn't hear you. Uh, but just, like, it's obliterated by disintegrate, and they're like, well, that sucks. Quick oh, he's going to be peace next week. He's going to be peace? He's, he's, like, he's going to be peace next week. <laughs> get the wagon. Get the wagon move. Get the wagon move. Why? You'll find out later, just in a week. Get the wagon to move. <laughs> oh my god, you killed Kenny. You bastards! <laughs> just, you're riding along, all of a sudden you hear, I'm alive. <laughs> but I mean, if you consider the fact that you get this at 17th level, you can literally be disintegrated 17 times. 16 yeah. times. And you'll be just, that son of a bitch. 17th time's the charm. <laughs> oh my goodness. Could you, For could those you of you that don't know, re- Disintegrate is a really, really powerful spell. If that spell were to reduce you to zero hit points, you turn to dust and you cannot be revived except by wish? Wish. I don't even think uh, true resurrection actually, would work because there's nothing there. True resurrection doesn't need anything there, I don't think. Let me double check. Yeah. Google! True resurrection, 5 uh, You touch a creature that has been dead for no longer than 200 years. Disintegrate yeah. doesn't leave a creature behind. You literally get thanos Um. Looking up disintegrate because I'm curious. Uh... Great 5e. Continue on. I'll I'll let you know. No, I got I got it pulled up here. Um, 
The spell automatically disintegrates a larger, smaller, non-magical object or a creation of magical force if the target is a... Uh, that's not what I want. Oh. Oh, okay. So a disintegrated creature and everything it is wearing and carrying except magic items are reduced to a pile of fine gray dust. The creature can be restored to life only by means of a true resurrection or a wish spell. But you have to have the dust. Yeah, you gotta put him in. Put put Jerry in the jar. We'll get him eventually. <laughs> he gonna be pissed, but we're gonna get him eventually. Wait, can you have a Jerry can? He could be Frankenstein. <laughs> put him I'll in kill Stein. both of you, young man. <laughs> have you God. guys seen that post? What, po what post? So there, I don't know if it's a true story, but it's a conversation between this guy and his like a six or eight year old son. And uh, the son is like, "What's that sign up there on the counter?" He goes, "Oh, your uncle Frank wanted his ashes put in there." And the son goes, "Huh?" So he could be Frankenstein. And his dad goes, "That son of a bitch!" <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> closing thoughts on the rogue. Uh, very, it seems like a lot of fun. Good. Yeah. I don't feel it's, like it's broken. I, I mean, the fell stuff yeah. is kind of strong, but it'll equal out pretty quickly. I yeah. find it's it very, very funny that even call really it heavy. Yeah, I can see that. I Go find it very funny that they call it fell when that's literally the energy the demon hunters use. Dude, I mean, work. come on. As far as I'm aware, all the guys at Heartleaf are fucking nerds like oh, us. No, they're they're I, making I references like, everywhere, and I'm all about I'm it. Not, I'm not bitching. I just find it hysterical. Like, I just, I like it. Yeah. I can also, I think I also maybe can see some influences of uh, Witcher and, by extension, might have gotten a little bit of inspiration from uh, Matt Mercer's Bloodhunter. Um, it there it has some similarities and parallels that I can make out. Yeah, I'm so, all about it though. Be, I fucking love it. Oh yeah, I'd be interested to see like what <clears throat> parts if if I'm right about that, what parts really uh, influence them. Yeah, I'd be interested to see the sorcerer subclass. The sorcerer subclass. We're moving right along. <laughs> uh, moving so, right along. Uh, the sorcerer, I, I actually found a line that I, I, I wanted to read here. Um, so Ooh. sorcerers master their power through experience. There's no way to articulate the extra sense of one's own realness that sorcerers share, but it gets stronger with exercise. Sorcerers see and feel something others cannot. A sorcerer satisfies this buzzing flicker of their hyper-realness by tapping into it. A lot of sorcerers delve just to have an excuse to cast spells as hard as they can. <laughs> I, vibe with this, I vibe with this subclass already so I, hard I, I read that and I had to read it three times to make sure that I did and boy oh boy I love whoever wrote that cause that's just that is a fucking sentence just cast spells as hard as I can I'm not going I'm interested to see where this is going because it sounds Zod. like a very interesting subclass so uh, the sorceress origin is Frostburn Eclipse. Essentially, the idea here is the sun guy, the sun guy, the sun god has a light and a dark side. It's a solar eclipse. You've got fire, you've got ice. That is the super, like, basic bitch TLDR of what this class is. I didn't do it any justice explaining it that way. Please get the book and read it yourselves. Um, 
So you've got Frostburn Manifestation. When everything falls into place and uh, Abade's favor explodes from you, Abade is the deity, you enter the state of Eclipse. This heightens your magic, but can also subtly change the way you look. At your option, you can pick from or roll from the Frostburn Manifestations table to determine how your character's body changes while in Eclipse. Your heartbeat is audible to those around you. You're king from One Punch Man. Uh, you bleed a hot, glowing orange liquid. Frost creeps outward from your feet. Sorry, say again? <laughs> I said you're a magma golem. Yep. Uh, frost creeps outward from your feet. You're Jack Frost. One of your hand's fingertips blacken while the other emits, emits a sizzling sound. You're Dobby oh, from My Hero Academia. I was about to say Scarlet Witch, but that works. I right. was going to say Todoroki, <laughs> but uh, uh, you're, you breathe an icy vapor. You vape hard, bro. Okay. Your eyes you're are metal. solid black with a corona of white around the edges. You're a demon from Supernatural. <laughs> Supernatural. <laughs> Same brain cell. <laughs> well, he's talking about the um, the show Heroes, I think. What? Were you not? No, I said Supernatural. Oh, you did say Super. Wow, I was thinking the Eclipse from Super. Or f- fuck it, I'm. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Okay. I want to uh, hear Sorcerer things. So you have Sunblood Sorcery. As a sorcerer from the Frostburn Eclipse, your magic explodes from raw physical aggression. You use strength as your spellcasting ability for sorcerer spells instead of charisma. You also use strength instead of charisma for the purposes of your metamagic options. Hmm. Okay. Bonus proficiencies. You have training with uh, Abade's twin sons and the armor to survive using them. You gain proficiency with the War Pick, Morning Star, and Light Armor. Huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Starting at first level, you get Sunbull's Tenacity. The rush of Sunblood slows the world around you and makes a grievous wound an afterthought. Being within five feet of a hostile creature doesn't impose disadvantage on your ranged spell attack rolls. Additionally, you can shrug off a blow that would leave less stubborn creatures unconscious. As a reaction to being reduced to zero hit points, you can stay conscious until the end of your next turn. You still roll death save saving throws as normal. Once you use this ability, you cannot use it again until you finish a short or long rest. Starting at third level, you can expend two sorcery points at the end of your turn to further delay falling unconscious from this feature until the end of your next turn. So essentially, Damn. so long as you have two sorcery points, you basically just have the undying barbarian bullshit. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> Starting at sixth level, you have Evoke Eclipse. You gain Obade's blood favor when you act fearlessly in combat. When you deal fire or cold damage to a hostile creature within five feet of you with a spell, you enter the state of Eclipse. Until you start your next turn, you gain the following benefits. Your movement speed is doubled. You gain five temporary hit points. This bonus increases by five when you reach 14th level, giving you 10, and 18th level, giving you 15 temporary hit points. You gain an additional action that can be used only to take the attack, one weapon attack only, 
dash, disengage, hide, or use an object action. Your melee weapon attacks deal an extra 3 fire or cold damage, your choice. Targets take an extra 3 cold damage from your spells that deal fire damage and vice versa. This damage increases by 1 you reach 14th level, an extra 4 damage, and at 18th level, an extra 5 damage. Starting at 14th level, you also gain the following benefit. You have advantage on the first melee weapon attack you make on your turn. This, this one confuses me, and I may need a little bit of clarification from Colin and them. Starting at 18th level, you gain the following benefit. You are immune to falling unconscious. The oh. fuck does that mean? Does that mean that you can't die? You're too angry to die as a sorcerer. I, I don't think it means... I think it means similar to up above it where you can stay awake... But uh, you're still rolling death saves. I would yeah. assume. Basically, you're still up and running, but you're below zero hit points. Oh, okay. So you're making death saving throws. Got you. So you don't fall unconscious. You can still run around and do shit, but you are still making death saving throws. Okay. Punk. That would be really. You're just running around like I cast fire. <laughs> I can't fire bleh. <laughs> okay, that makes so much more. I could not wrap my brain around that for the life of me today. Now, granted, I am still fucking recovering from a long day of a shoot, but yeah, no, that's <clears throat> that's cool. Okay, a pray five show. Yes, yes, Zach. I know we're not done yet. I'm trying to drink. Fuck off. No, no, no I was gonna. Never mind. Oh, sorry. I thought you were urging me again to keep reading. Go ahead. No, no, no. It's, it, I was just like, I'm trying to think of like a scenario where that's just falling in. Like, so how many, how many turns do you make death saving? So is it three turns? You could theoretically be immune to being unconscious for f six turns. Because if you, if you have two you failed. die. Yeah. If you have two failed, let's say that you get reduced to zero hit points. You're immune to falling unconscious. You're still moving and attacking like normal, but at the start of each of your turns, you make a death saving throw. Let's say the first two death saving throws were failures. That's two. You then have a successful save, another successful save, and then your final successful save, you're alive. So you could have four turns of being quote-unquote unconscious, but you're not. You're still moving around. You're like, fireball. But after four... You're either going to die, or you're going to come back. So, does taking damage make you fail saving throws yes. immediately? Yes. If someone were to yeah, attack you when you were unconscious, you and they... It's an automatic Ooh. crit, which means that you failed two uh, death but, saves. But it wouldn't. You're immune to unconscious. You, that you're still below zero eight like health points, and taking damage beyond zero hit points is what... Is bad. triggers a failed save. Yes. Like, it doesn't just, matter if you're unconscious or not. Taking more damage will cause failed saves. Also, Ian, I don't think it's a crit unless you're unconscious. I could be wrong about that, but I believe... Well, now, uh, you're not incorrect because falling unconscious would make you prone, which gives you... Advantage on the attack, and I think being unconscious 
makes it an automatic crit. But if you're not unconscious and not prone, neither of those well, apply. Let me let me look up the unconscious um, status. That also brings up a, a good point. Does that mean that in an RP sense, your companions also won't know that you're making death saves? Oh, that you would have yes. unconscious. I mean, you could probably shout. I was like, hey, I could use some healing. But other than that, they don't know a fucking thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, the unconscious status. An unconscious creature is incapacitated, cannot move or speak, and is unaware of its surroundings. The creature drops whatever it's holding and falls prone. The creature automatically fails strength and dexterity saving throws. Attack rolls against the creature have advantage. Any attack that hits the creature is a critical hit if the attacker was in five feet of the creature. So, he's correct. You would not get advantage. You, I mean, sure, if you get hit and you take damage, that is a failed save. Period. But, it's not but it two. is not two. So, yes, Zach, you are correct. Yay. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> That's the best I do want to also... I do also want to point out, for the purposes of Evoke the Eclipse, that being the 18th level part of it, it's only until the start of your next turn. So after the turn that you evoke Eclipse, oh, okay, um, okay. you I would see. still have to expend... Ah, you would still have to expend yeah. your two sorcery points to continue it. Well, I don't uh, know. How, yeah. how would that work? What do you mean, how would that work? Well, because it's until the start of your next turn, but the sorcery point bit is at the end of your turn. So it basically whoa. gives you another an extra turn. Yeah. So basically, you oh, you, yeah, because you you as a reaction, you to be reduced to zero hit points, you can stay conscious until the end of your turn. So it would be the evoke eclipse, then the reaction, then the two sorcery points. Yes, I think that's yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Okay. So as cool as it would be to just being a boss-ass bitch and just being like, man, I never fall unconscious. I can't sleep. Help me. Never fall unconscious. I'm great. <laughs> also, that means you can't be affected by the sleep spell, yeah? Or any similar effect? That does put you mm, unconscious. That's not technically unconscious. That's a sleep condition. That's slightly different. I think. I'm pretty sure. Let me see. You know what? We're looking it up. We're going to figure it out. <laughs> We're here. We got D&D Beyond. Let's see what happens. Uh, nope. Wait. Hold on. Uh, each creature affected by this spell falls unconscious. Yeah. Fuck your sleep spell. Let's go. And, yeah. That's... Not that, not that I would see a sleep spell that often at 18th level, but you never know what adjacent ability might induce something similar. D bullshit. Metal cast sleep, like what? Six times on a fucking dragon? That's true. And I got him. <laughs> <laughs> Twice. Um, so we're not even done yet with the sorcerer. Uh, beginning at 6th level, you get extra attack. You can attack twice instead of once. Well, no shit. Whenever you take the attack action on your turn. Twice? Uh, at twice. At 14th level, once. you get penetrating spell. Fuck off. You see weakness <laughs> where others see immunity. You gain the penetrating spell mana magic option, which is when oh. you cast a spell that deals damage, you can spend two sorcery points to treat targeted creatures immunity to a damage type as resistance, and you ignore resistance for the purposes of determining a spell's damage. At 18th level, you get Cold Sun's Ray Storm. 
Whenever you make a weapon attack, you can cast one of your cantrips in place of the attack. So, wait, wait, wait. Oh. when Go you ahead. cast a spell that deals damage, you can spend two sorcery points to treat a target's immunity to a damage type as resistance. And, not or, and ignore resistance for the purpose of determining the spell's damage. This is this is not compounding. Yeah, you you don't treat immunity as resistance and then ignore said resistance. You treat immunity as resistance and resistance as nothing. Okay, it's yeah. exactly the same <laughs> thing as Zach's Zahn's lightning feature that he's got. Right, most part. <clears throat> Also, as a side note, taking anything other than fire and ice spells with this uh, subclass is just stupid. <laughs> just it's, yeah. Play, yeah. I do I do find this one funny. So, whenever you make a weapon attack, you can cast one of your cantrips in place of the attack. So, if you get your extra attack at level 6, and you evoke an eclipse, you get three attacks. So, you can cast three cantrips in one turn. No, you can cast one of your cantrips in place of the attack. Whenever you make a weapon attack. Whenever. He's right. Whenever you make a weapon attack, you can cast your cantrip in place of the attack. Oh, no. Blam. (laughs) Ha Yeah, you can... Just want to point that one out. (laughs) You can now just blast the fuck out of some motherfuckers if you have access to it somehow. (laughs) Well, no, because Evoke Eclipse requires you to deal fire or cold damage. Eldritch Blast is force damage. You'd have to do like Ray of Frost or Firebolt or something. Yeah, you you start off your turn by casting Burning Hands, and then your other two attacks, Burning Hands. Good night, Nam. Good night, Nam. I mean, still, once you proc Evoke Eclipse, you can just Eldritch Blast on motherfuckers. (laughs) That's... And then on top we said of that, it a lot tonight. That's dirty. <laughs> if you do that on top, let's just say you just do scorching rays. Every one of them, the three of you cast, get three bonus cold damage per scorching ray. Yeah. <laughs> because. <laughs> yeah. It's. Mm. As much as I love this, I want I want to talk about the ghost god. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna be honest. I. I this one oh, okay. I'm the least interested in, unfortunately. I've I'm, in, in no, the no, grand no, in the no. grand scheme of things, I've never been a super huge fan of warlocks, and I've never been a super huge fan of paladins. That is my own personal opinion. So if I come off as very dismissive about this class, that's why it doesn't thrill me. But I'm still going to go over it, unless metal, unless you want to read it aloud or something. <laughs> Dazzle me. Well, if you don't give a fuck, then I yeah, will. Yeah, <laughs> you. Uh, start us off with Colors of the Veil. All right. Uh, early in life, the ghost gods chosen uh, show physical signs of the dead pantheon's calling. Most common sign is fur with an unnatural pattern or stark colors. A jagged line slashes the middle of a sloth warlock's face or dividing natural color in hot pink. Uh, another fox's fur sports a perfect houndstooth, pound, uh, houndstooth pattern. Sorry, r- real uh, quick. I, I need. I realized that I need to clarify this real quick. The the ghost god is when, when we were talking about the races before. When we got to the brethren, the humans, they came from basically another reality over to here. When that happened, 
their pantheon was like, wait, come back, you left us alone. And all the pantheon sort of kind of became, their, their fractured pantheon became one quasi entity. And that's what this ghost god is. So when it says like the dead pantheon's calling, it's literally the human's pantheon from the broken world reaching through to this dimension. Be like, come back to me. I'm so alone. Worship me. So that's kind of the whole thought behind what's happening here. That's kind of the basis of what you need to know for the rest of the like broken world and crap. The broken world is the human's reality that they fled right. from please yes. continue good sir uh the color and pattern of this aberration is different for every warlock the those reluctant to answer their call hide these changes others are proud to show off the explosion of color no human warlocks of the ghost god have yet been called but it's surely only a matter of time those bitches left me alone i'm gonna go talk <laughs> to the furry people <laughs> 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 only the, only the furries get me <laughs> the ghost god lets you choose from an expanded list of spells when you learn a war- warlock spell the following spells are added to the warlock spell list for you at first level uh first level spells are featherfall and long strider second level spells are enlarge reduce and locate object mm-hmm. um at uh Third level spells, non-detection and sending. Fourth level spells, confusion and fabricate. And fifth level spells, gas and passwall. <laughs> gas! <laughs> this this uh, one is a little complicated, so buckle up. All right. Inverted pilgrimage. Starting at first level while holding a non-magical object bearing your likeness, such as a figurine or drawing. You can use your action to shift yourself to the broken world. Your likeness stays behind in your space. The dangerous landscape of the, of the broken world doesn't harm you. Uh, you can see more about the broken world's environments. Um, by the book. T- yeah, by the book. <laughs> Time flows normally. The temperature is comfortable and the air is breathable. However, you aren't exempt from dangers other than the atmosphere that exists in the broken world. While in the broken world, you can use your action to transport yourself to the unoccupied space closest to the likeness you left behind. If your likeness is destroyed, you are stranded until you find a way home. While you are not in the broken world, any non-magical objects from other worlds that you leave there will slowly decay. A non-native object takes one necrotic damage every hour while left behind in the broken world. As part of a long rest spent in the broken world, you can walk the landscape and gather material components for all the spells you know, which are gifts left by your patron. These components are suitable non-living facsimiles of the usual sort, such as flowers made of wire and broken glass. You gain a plus one bonus to spell attack rolls and to the saving throw DCs of your warlock spells cast using components from the broken world. They can't substitute spell components with a listed gold piece value and disintegrate 24 hours after leaving the broken world i do promise that this is going to make a lot more sense as we go on through the the class uh there's more that can be done within the broken world realm and it's not just some random like just throw it out there kind of thing oh uh Warlocks looking to avoid their patrons' feedback should think before traveling to the broken world. While a warlock is in their domain, the ghost god can speak directly to them. 
However, one must balance time spent away. After seven days without entering the broken world, you are racked with nightmares and headaches. Every day at dawn thereafter, you take psychic damage equal to 1d6 plus your warlock level. This damage cannot be prevented by any means. Um, a ghost god's... Uh, a ghost god warlock's point of arrival is always the same, usually a vast empty landscape with nothing more than scattered runes in the distance. It may be a tract in the bleeding fields, an island in the glass sea, or simply a flat unnamed expanse of black mar marble under a white sky. So basically, you transport yourself to the broken world, which uh, you can gather spell components? question mark yeah so back. like think of that spell that we were talking about earlier that required the eggshells of two different creatures if it were a situation like that because it's not a gold it's not if you're looking at like revivify where you need a diamond worth 300 or 500 gold pieces that you could not get there but like yeah. eggshells or like a spool of silk it's really just like a spool of like or a silver specific wire flower. Or yeah. a yeah a specific flower that doesn't have a gold cost you basically just like la, 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 hey I need that. Thanks, Ghost God Man. Yoink! And you get that bonus to your uh, spell casting and your damage and shit. Just get a haunted, broken, you're welcome <laughs> response. Yeah, but so again, I haven't personally read that section of the book that it was referring to, but it sounds to me like you have this little bubble of space where you can breathe and survive and be okay. The atmosphere doesn't bother you because you got, I don't know, you're like a, like a SpongeBob bubble over your head or something. But it sounds like there is shit there that can attack you and harm you. Yeah. Again, I haven't read that part yet, so I don't know specifically, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah. You transport yourself to the broken world, whatever that means in the broken world is to be seen. Yeah. Um... Warp space. At 6th level, you can use a bonus action once to entreat the dead pantheon to warp space for an instant. You gain the ability to pull space or push space a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. Uh, pull space. As an action, you teleport to an unoccupied space that you can see, as long as the full path in a straight line is unobstructed. For example, if you cannot teleport through the bars of a jail cell, but you can teleport from the deck of a ship onto an island in the distance. There must be a smaller, larger, solid object uh, that you can see at the point of arrival, such as a tree or a wall. Uh, a, creature, a creature you're grappling accompanies you as long as it can arrive in an, un in an unoccupied space. So uh, push keep space. in mind there, as far as you can see... Generally yeah. speaking, the rules of D&D &D 5e is you have, on a clear day, you could theoretically see about two miles-ish. Yeah. And so long <laughs> as you can see a tree. Now, the other thing to think of is, like, you're forever away. You're like, there's a castle right there. We really got to get this message to him. It's like, well, I can see the window. <laughs> Boom. And Is you just fucking plummet. Unoccupied. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Marcus. <laughs> but I mean, like, how fucking? Because I think warlocks can take Featherfall. I might be wrong there, but I mean, just imagine, like, yeah, uh, I'll meet right. you guys there. <laughs> just all the way down. Oh man. Anyway, please continue. Uh, push space. 
as a reaction to seeing a creature start moving, you can stretch the space between the creature and its destination. Until the end of its turn, it must spend 10 feet of movement for every one foot it moves. A creature that can't move at least five feet can't leave its space. Damn. You're literally oh. making that nightmare where you can't run away from the monster, a.k.a. Zack. Oh, no, no, no. It's the one where you're trying to run down the hallway and the door just keeps getting farther away. Yeah, that, oh. that same one. You're just behind them as well. Jacko, freaky ginger bastard. (laughs) Jacko comes with a question. Oh, yes. Jacko? Oh, sorry. Also, it's not uh, Jacko, it's Jacko Bell. Jacko Bell. Duly noted and disregarded. I'm kidding. Jacko. (laughs) Okay, so uh, the question is uh, do you guys know of an offensive spell that also might have a chance to kill the user? Because I need it for something for the end of my campaign where a character has to commit an act of self-sacrifice in order to save everyone else. Fireball. Fireball. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, fair, because he's a homunculus made out of sweets. (laughs) So I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I remember there being... I remember reading something where, like, <clears throat> oh, 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 it's it's uh, it's spell slots, I believe. I'll, I'll have to do a little bit more digging on this again, but I believe that you can technically cast spells without spell slots, but it exerts an extreme toll on yourself. Again, I'm going to have to look this up to double check. I may have dreamed it, but... I, if... think... I think there is actually a thing for... I think it was warlocks where it's either warlocks or wizards where they, like they can get some kind of book where they can write down spells and then they can just switch out spells in their spell slots for like what they need. Stream just got to hear me tickety tap the fuck out of my keyboard there. <laughs> uh... I, think it was, I think it was uh warlocks because it's like something that they get from their patron. You know, maybe Maybe I was just talking to someone else about the theory of allowing players to cast without spell slots, but there being a severe detriment. I think that's what it was. It's not an actual rule. I think the D&D 5e rules are no spell slots, no casty, period. But we were theorycrafting the ability to cast spells afterwards, but incurring severe levels of exhaustion. So if you were out of spell slots and you cast a third level spell, you would essentially be giving yourself three levels of exhaustion just bam right then and there um collapse and have to take a mandatory long rest yeah but i mean it could be the a matter of victory or total failure um yeah but yeah honestly if you're looking for any sort of self-sacrifice spell i just anything with an aoe I mean, Fireball, um, Hadar's Black Tentacles, maybe. Um, mm. Something along you those lines. Do the, uh, what was it, the Earthquake one that rips open holes and just have them hold whoever it is and fall down the hole with them? Yeah. Oh, well, the thing is, that the final boss has wings. Has wings? Yeah, um, so it'll, uh, it'll Sphere be of Annihilation. Hmm. Right. If they have access to that spell, anyway. I'll have to, um, do you know what classes can use that spell? Sphere of Annihilation? Um. Yeah. 
Give me two seconds to tippity-tap my way on through this. Uh, Sphere of Annihilation. Oh, it's not a spell. It's a wondrous item. I'm retarded. Ooh. No, I, I wouldn't say you are. Just a little... Just a little too silly. Right there. I'm also two whiskeys in, so my mental capabilities are not uh, great. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just drunk. Uh, no, I'm not drunk. Trust me. You'd know if I were drunk. I would let you know if I was drunk. <laughs> a little tipsy. Honestly, I'm not even that tipsy. tipsy. It's kind of depressing. I think green spot just isn't that high in the alcohol proof. <laughs> I may need to go pour myself some tealings or something. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah. Uh, to the we'll, patronage of space. Yes, we will. We will be happy to look that up for you later on. But we let's let's uh, we're coming up on three hours. So let's let's get these last these last two done. Yeah. All right. You're on patronage of space there, Metal, yeah? Yeah. All right, dope. Tenth level, uh, patronage of space. With regular travel to the... Uh, tenth level, with regular travel to the broken world, you've gradually mastered its unpredictable physics. You gain total control over a 120-foot cube space in the broken world. Objects within this space no longer take damage. When you access your space with, inverse, with your inverse pilgrimage feature... You can leave behind a freestanding circular portal 5 to 10 feet wide along with your likeness. Creatures and objects can move through the portal as long as you keep it open. It remains open for 10 minutes or until you close it as an action with 5 feet of it on either side. With 8 hours of work within your space, you can change the following properties. The boundaries. Your space can have physical continuity uh, with the larger broken world or it can be a discrete pocket with inky black walls. Uh, you can change non-living or non-magical matter. Objects created in your space decay into ash moments before being removed for, from the broken world. Your space cannot sustain any life, and a seed sown in your realm are doomed. Uh, you can change the atmosphere. Temperature, wind, light, and gravity are under your control. You can even designate specific creatures who are able to breathe in your otherwise airless space. Mastery of a physical space has a second benefit starting at 10th level. Uh, you are a patron. You can create your own pact, even as you continue to serve the ghost god. With an eight-hour ritual in your space, you determine the specifics, it's your ritual, you form a <laughs> pact with your chosen vassal. This creature must enter your service willingly. When the, when the ritual finishes, your servant becomes a first-level ghost god warlock, except they answer to you, and their inverse pilgrimage leads them to your mastered space. When you gain a level, your Warlock's maximum level increases by 1. Your Warlock can reach 2nd level when you reach 11th level, and so on. Uh, the GM portrays the NPC unless they wish to give you control over them. Most Warlocks will agree to spend at most a few days a month taking direct orders from you. They won't place themselves or their loved ones in obvious mortal danger for you. Remember that they are, are, they, they are their own person. Most warlocks are in the profession for themselves, not you. The ghost god is flexible about how you behave as a patron. However, use caution when commanding your warlock to betray their wishes. Your underling's behavior is your responsibility in the eyes of the ghost god. If the warlock displeases you, you can perform an eight-hour ritual to decrease the warlock level by one or more, which can be done during a long rest. They cannot regain the levels or gain new ones until you release the limitation, limitation as an action. You can continue to decrease their warlock level with subsequent rituals. 
A warlock with zero levels has their pack severed and no longer serves you. you. Perform the pact ritual with a different creature. Your previous pact is severed. It seems That's fucking interesting. Complicated. The uh, the one that I don't fully understand is the non-living and non-magical matter. Uh you can you can change non-living non-magical matter. Uh you I see it as you can create walls, you can create objects, but as soon as they leave from the oh, broken world. Oh, okay, I see. Fish. But it yeah. cannot sustain life and any seeds are doomed. So you can't grow shit. You yeah. can make shit, but you can't grow shit. Okay, thank you. Can't That's... play Farmville in your broken world pocket. Yeah, fuck Farmville. <laughs> uh, that No, that one really, really, really confused me earlier today. Um, yeah, the, the whole getting yourself your own little warlock uh minion is it's weird it's it's complicated I, like you you need to be i feel like you I may mean, need to be a more experienced player to really make use of that i mean you get you get a warlock <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's basically it <laughs> but again it says warlock that as, as a patron it won't put itself into mortal danger for you it's in it for itself so i just it makes me wonder how you would really make use of having a baby warlock well, how does how does a pat like a patron, I guess, draw from its vassal? Well, in the general sense, when you're looking at a warlock of the normal D and D deities, you're either trying to release your patron from enslavement <laughs> or further its own desires in some weird way. Like it's going to collect your soul for power or whatever. So. Like, what are you... Honestly, when you said... When you were reading the part about, like, it's your ritual, it's just like, sacrifice, sacrifice, gobble, 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 sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's a really, really interesting aspect that I've never really considered before. It requires deeper thought than just a dice roll. That's for sure. Yeah. There is actually one... Before we reach the last little feature of this... I forget who I was talking to about it, but it was a really interesting twist on the whole <laughs> warlock um, patron where the warlock is their own patron. Like somehow I, they reached into I the past that. and they are giving themselves power. Oh yeah, didn't they call that the, uh, what is it, the Ouroboros? Yes. Yeah, the yeah. The Ouroboros. That's, that is that. a mind fuck, dude. I I fucking love that one. Um Okay, Space One's own. Starting at 14th level, you learn to use the broken world as a wicked jail. You can cast the banishment spell I once. I think that's a... supposed to be goal, but it's a time. No, it's pronounced jail. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's old English jail. Oh, okay. Yeah. You can you learn to use the broken world as a wicked jail. Sorry, J uh, Jocko. I may have found something that would work. Uh, um, let let him power through this one real quick, and we'll be done with the with the warlock, good. and then we'll get to you. Yes. Uh, you can use the banishment spell once targeting a number of creatures up to your charisma modifier, minimum of one creature, without expending a spell slot. 
A target banished this way is sent to your mastered space within the broken world for the spell's duration, regardless of its native plane of existence. The target is incapacitated and restrained, immune to all damage, and can breathe normally. At the end of the duration, you can choose to eject the target into the broken world. Once you use this feature, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. So, Fuck. <laughs> so basically, if your charisma is fought, you can send five creatures to your home for the full minute of the banishment spell, and then just go, good luck out there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. That's, because normally when you do the banishment the spell, they come back after the minute unless you send them to their own plane of existence where they then stay. This is basically just saying, nah, you're in the broken <laughs> world now. Have fun there, Super Chief. What? Yeah, the that's... the duration, you can just choose to eject them into the broken world. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Pretty impressive. I that's Now, granted, you're at 14th level, so that's a ways away, but that's that's a game changer. That's still like five things just no longer your problem. <laughs> yeah. And uh, again, I'm going to have to read the broken world lore because earlier it was saying that, you know, you have to to get there. You have to be by a facsimile of yourself, a, a drawing or a statue. And if it breaks, you have to find your way back. So I, I'm really interested to go and read that section to see, like, what are the ways to get back? Like, do you have to go suck off the ghost one, or do you have to like, I like, I don't know. It's it's really really fucking intriguing to me. All right, uh, so Jacko, you said that you found a spell that might work for what you wanted. Yes, it's one that blood hunters learn, and it's called Blood Curse of Mutual Suffering. Oh, well, is your Basically. player character a blood hunter? I hadn't decided on what class to make him yet, but I might end up going with that one since that seems like the best option. I spilt half my chocolate milk and I am now depressed. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but, but yeah, it seems like a very viable option. Well, what was it again? Blood curse of the what? Blood curse of mutual suffering. I can vouch blood hunters are fucking fun. Uh, not your real mom, Kirsten, uh, Kasumi, can also vouch. Yeah. I'm going to cry because I spilled half of my chocolate milk, and now it is all over my bed, and it is all in my new nightgown. No. I'm not gonna lie, I'm not finding this thing. Um, Blood Curse of Mutual Suffering? Yeah. Huh. It's, well, uh, it's not a spell, it's a class feature. Well, yeah, I was e I even was looking at it in the class itself and it wasn't coming up. Huh. If you look it up on Google, you'll find it. Yeah, if yeah, I just type in suffering on Bloodhunter, it doesn't come up at all. Oh, um apparently it was removed. Huh. Well, thankfully my entire campaign I'm doing the uh edit sheet directly thing because it's online, it's roll twenty. Fair enough. Um, oh, yeah. So, like, I can just put that in myself. I just have to have the information pulled up and then just copy-paste. Did you find something metal? Yeah, it was just Blood Curse of Mutual Suffering was removed uh, in January. 
D&D Beyond uses the most up-to-date version. Usually takes them one or two weeks to update. So when Bloodhunter got updated, they removed it from their site. Okay. Well, well this character this character is an NPC, but I really want to rip people's hearts out with this campaign. <laughs> well, I introduced the character to a friend, and they said, oh, that's my son now. And I'm like, are you sure? He's well, like 183 years old. Then you may want to make sure that none of your players find us, or this could be really fucking awkward. Oh, yeah, it's gonna be... Oh, no, they, they know how old he is, but they don't know he's going to be the one to commit the act of self-sacrifice. They know someone is, but they don't know it's him. <laughs> All right. Unless they watch this, unless they listen Unless to they this. watch Whiskey Wednesdays every other Wednesday on Fools and Flagons. <laughs> Twitch.tv. Fuck it, I'm done. Moving on. Wizard. Um, these guys are actually um, kind of cool. Aw, all right, Z. Yeah, sorry. Go, uh, go unplug yourself. Have a good night, everyone. Yep. Why do you hate us? Chill it off. Thank you, everybody. Why do you hate us? <laughs> all right. Well, last but not least, we have... The Wizards and the Somnomancy. Basically, they like to fuck around with people that are dreaming. There's some pretty interesting stuff in here. Again, I'm not I'm not terribly thrilled with this class, but it is still relatively interesting. So starting out, at second level, you get Embrace of Slumber. You gain a deeper understanding of the barrier between waking and sleep. Magic cannot put you to sleep, and your level of exhaustion is reduced by one after a short rest. Basically, you're an expert at sleeping. That's essentially what this class boils down to. And actually, now that I'm remembering so it, there is a lot of really cool shit in this. So forget what I just said a second ago. I just remembered. <laughs> um, when you choose this tradition at second level, you get shared dream. You dream of sharing magic with your allies and make it so in reality. You isolate a fragment of your consciousness and transfer it. When you regain spell slots at the end of a long rest, you can cast a number of levels worth of spells, first level or higher, equal to half your wizard level rounded down. For example, a 10th level Somnomancer could cast two acid arrows and one magic missile. Instead of the normal effect of each spell, you grant the ability to cast it to another humanoid within 60 feet of you. The spell's components are required when you cast it. So you're basically casting shit in your sleep, but you're giving it to other people. Um, you can impart multiple spells at once this way, but a creature cannot gain the ability to cast more than one spell at a time from you with this feature. The creature can cast the spell once at the level of the slot you expended, ignoring all components. The spell uses your, save DC, your spell save DC, spell attack bonus, and spell casting ability, but is otherwise treated as if they cast it. They lose the ability to cast the spell after 8 hours. You cannot regain a spell slot expended with shared dream until the target creature has cast the spell imparted by it or lost the ability to cast it. You so... You put a down payment on yes, spells. <laughs> exactly. But for other... And it, from my understanding is you don't expend those spell slots to give them to other people. Is the way that I'm reading uh, that. Because when it, sa it says, when you regain spell slots at the end of a long rest, you can cast a number of spells equal to blah, blah, blah. 
I don't think it's done without the spell slots because it specifically says at the bottom you can't regain a spell slot expended with shared dream until the target creature has uh, cast a spell and parted by it. So when you regain all yep. your spell slots, yep. basically you can use them right away to give them to someone else. Yeah, and that means that you cannot use the wizard's um, arcane recovery to get that slot back. So that that makes sense. Okay, good catch. Um, you at sixth level, you've got nimble nimble recall. With further study and plenty of naps in between, you have learned to complete part of an arcane equation while transferring it to another person. If a spell you impart through shared dream has the casting time of one action, you can change the casting time to one bonus action. Now, this one is a complete and total mindfuck. It is called Lucid Daydream. At 10th level, you can enter a deep dream of your surroundings, affecting the real world while asleep. You can use your bonus action to fall unconscious. While unconscious in this way, you cannot move, take actions, and automatically fail strength and dexterity saving throws. However, the following exceptions apply. Your dream keeps you aware of your surroundings and you can maintain concentration on ongoing spells. You can speak. You have blind sight out to 60 feet. The fuck is blind sight? Uh... If you are blind, basically you can see shit that's invisible. Oh. Like if you were in magical darkness, you still know what's around you for sixty feet. Let me let oh. me pull it up in D and D Beyond, so I'm not lying. But I believe that that's essentially the case. <clears throat> um. I, okay, I searched for blindsight and then gave me items with blindsight and just telling you what the fuck the condition of blindsight was. D&D &D Beyond search feature frustrates me. <laughs> a monster with blindsight can perceive its surroundings without relying on sight within a specific radius. Creatures without eyes, such as Grimlocks and Grey Oozes, typically have this special sense, but I don't really fucking care. Um... Yeah, so essentially what that... If I'm not mistaken, that means that you can perceive your surroundings without relying on sight. If something's invisible, you just know that it's there. Huh. That's pretty fucking... Pretty fucking strong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, additionally, while in this dreaming state, you can take actions, bonus actions, and reactions to cast spells ignoring somatic components. You don't have to wiggle your fingers. So if you get grappled, you just go, all right. <laughs> um, and you also ignore material components without indicated cost. So again, if something says like you require a diamond worth 300 gold, you would need, you couldn't cast that spell. But if it's like bat guano and phosphorus, I, fireball, there you go. <laughs> Transmutation spells you cast don't require concentration while you are asleep and can be dismissed at any time. Lucid Daydream lasts a number of minutes equal to your intelligence modifier. You can awaken early as a bonus action. Any ongoing transmutation spells you cast while asleep end when you awaken. 
After using this feature, you cannot do so again until you finish a long rest, unless you expend a spell slot of 5th level or higher to enter the dream state again. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> I like that. Uh, at 14th level, you get Wandering Consciousness. Your dreaming mind can travel beyond the confines of your physical body. While in a lucid daydream, an invisible sensor manifests above your sleeping body. Just a little boop. You mentally receive visual and auditory information through the sensor as if you were in its space, but the location of your body still determines where you can cast spells. Every round, you can move the sensor a number of feet equal to 10 times your intelligence modifier, minimum of 10 feet. The sensor can move through solid barriers, and there is no limit to the distance it can travel from your body, though it cannot travel to a different plane of existence. A creature that can see the sensor, such as benefiting from true sight or see invisibility, sees your, transluc your translucent disembodied face. So, while that wandering consciousness can literally travel damn near anywhere, you still can only cast spells from your body's location. So if you were to send your consciousness around like a wall and you know that someone's there, if you need to have line of sight on it, you still technically couldn't cast that spell. Yeah. So it's still very cool if, if you're all just kind of gathered around, you're like, man, I lost him in the crowd. I don't know where he went. You just go, all right, I'll be back. And you just fucking narcolepsy your ass down onto the ground and you just go searching everywhere. And then you just wake up and go, all right, three shoots down, hang a left, chuck a right, up to the second story. Uh, Billy, just cast Fireball. Pull <laughs> 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 out a pillow blanket in your sleeping cap from the bag of holding and just... <laughs> you. Just plunk shoe time, baby. Honk me, 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 me. What's your, what's your combat specialty? Narcolepsy. <laughs> Damn. What's your combat specialty? Let me tell you after my nap. <laughs> what plane of existence are you from? The world of dreams. Sandman senses regards. Well, fortunately, unfortunately, three hours later... That reaches the end of the Delver's Guide to Beast World subclasses. Whoo! It was a long oh, haul, but man, some of these are so cool. You guys have done a fantastic job, Vile. <laughs> Came right at the end, too, just as we were... <laughs> well, he may have been <laughs> lurking, but, you know. I know. It, it's it's that, funny that... that it's funny that he brought up the main event, too, because... God, I dude the the, the beatdown thing just made me oh fuck I laughed so hard. <laughs> oh merry man, <laughs> just beat the shit out of him. <laughs> so not to keep anybody up later than they already have been. I know we got some East Coasters in here. Um, with it's with this session, <laughs> well, look, look, some people have to work. I'm just trying to be considerate That's here. That's fair. I'm unemployed. Um. <laughs> Looking at what we've got, the next session we've got uh, lined up, we will cover magic items and spells. I'm hoping we'll be able to fit them all into one session. I don't fucking know. I haven't looked at them yet. Um, 
the other thing that I wanted to say is uh, keep an eye out. We will be having some extra sessions on a weekend. We haven't decided yet, uh, but we definitely want to go through uh, the wagon creation process and actually read through everything and decide what we want, what would be the best. Or I, I may read through the rules first and like give everyone on the stream like a budget. Like we have this much gold to spend to make a wagon. Let's read through everything, see if we can make the best thing we can. Uh, the other one that I want to go through is I want to have a stream where we go through and we make um, one of the uh, pennants. I, I believe that's correct. Basically, the sigils. Pictograms? That, pictograms, thank you. That's it. Uh, go through and make a pictogram for everybody. It has, like, colors that kind of discern your mood. Like, you, are you a murder hobo? Do you like to read? Um, does the alignment of the stars make you hungry at 3 p.m.? That kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, and, and depending on the type of symbols, it's basically so if someone were to be walking through a caravan and they see your flag, they go, oh, that guy's a caster. He's ready to go into dungeons. I'm going to go talk to him. Or there's a healer over there. Or there's this guy that likes to fuck around with uh, blacksmithing, that kind of thing. And I just feel like that could be kind of fun to make one for everybody. Um, so keep an eye out in the Discord for that. We'll be trying to figure out when we can schedule those and when we can have the most amount of people to really make use of that uh, that particular stream. Um, on top of that, we will have our actual D&D stream this coming Friday. Uh, I believe Pez may be a little bit late to that, but for the most part, maybe, hopefully, we'll actually get to Harpermere. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, would be cool have to have makeup beforehand and have some people try, have some people try to decipher them. Uh, that could be a fun little thing to do. Um, considering that anyone else that would be here has actually seen the, the walkthrough for that yet. Which I believe is just me. I think I'm the only one that has the book currently. But regardless, this stream has gone on long enough. Thank you all so much for joining. If you haven't already, join the Discord. The links are everywhere. We'd love to have you here and chat with you. You're more than welcome to join in on these Whiskey Wednesdays and contribute to the conversations. Um, anyone else got anything that you want to talk about? I just fucking said that. Links there. Join. Links in the chat. Drink responsibly, kids. Or don't. I don't control your life. Be safe. All right. So, again, we did have this session early because I'm going to be busy working the Liberty Bowl next week. So we are unfortunately going to be going two weeks without Whiskey Wednesday so that we can get back onto our normal schedule uh, after this one. Uh, so we will see you in the new year as far as Whiskey Wednesdays goes. And if you have been keeping up with the campaign, we'll see you on Friday. So, yeah. yeah. Good night, everybody. Good night. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Whiskey Wednesdays podcast. You can watch the show live on Twitch every other Wednesday. If you'd like to recommend a topic for us to discuss, please join our Discord. The links can be found in the description, and we look forward to seeing you soon.